Hi, this is Grant Cameron. I'm a UFO researcher and writer, and you're listening to Dead Hand Radio. appreciate your interest in what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, following your work for a couple of years now. I'm fairly new to the topic of UFOs. Oh, wow. Um, but I'm a, I'm a fan of your work. Good. I think what you're doing is important and um, uh, have a lot of questions for you. Go ahead. Um, one, of the, one of the key elements of this podcast, just um, to give you a heads up, is Cold War era events. Uh, I study the Cold War and I like to talk to guests and relate to their experiences uh, during the Cold War. So are you, um, are you talking from an American perspective? No, no, from a global perspective. Okay, okay. Because I, I know that people have experienced it in different ways throughout the world. I've talked to people in Taiwan, okay. yeah. Australia, and different other, other parts, UK and so forth. Okay. Um, so I, I'm just curious what year or what uh, period, time period did you grow up? Um, 50s and 60s. Okay. And how much of an impact would you say that the conflict between the Soviet Union and the U.S. had on you as a, a child, if any? Um, not so much as a child, but I had uh, my background at university was political studies and I studied the Soviet Union. I studied criminology, which was the study of watching the, the Kremlin and what goes on in the Kremlin and how people get canned and what does that mean? Because it was all like a big secret. It was like a big UFO secret as to what was going on inside the Kremlin. We could only sort of guess as to which pieces were being moved and what that meant and stuff. So that's actually my background. I got a political studies background. Wow. Well, um, yeah, I'd certainly like to dig into that. I, I, I want to give you ample time to talk about the consciousness element of this. Yeah, yeah. But but my real interest is in the Cold War era. Yeah. Uh, so what year were you at university and did you start studying this stuff? Um, let's see. When was it? 70, 72, um, 70 to 72, somewhere in that period of time. Okay. So that was... That was a, a few years before you had your first experience, right? Yeah. In fact, the first experience is what made me change fields and say, because I was in university, I couldn't figure out how in heaven's name do you make any money with this garbage? Like I was doing calculus and, and I kept asking the guy, like, what's a function? Like, how do you, what happens to the numbers? Like, how do you make money from this stuff? I like, couldn't. And when I saw the UFO in 75, I just went, oh. This is important. I mean, this is, I thought, you know, of, course, of course, I thought like everybody else in the UFO field, like, you know, I'm going to get a million dollars. I'm going to be super famous. I've discovered this and stuff. And that all turned out like nobody cared less. But uh, yeah, it sort of changed my whole life. I mean, when I saw my first, because I had between 75 and 76, I had the sightings. I had five uh, close-up encounters. So it wasn't a light in the sky. It was an object that was in pretty close. Uh, the one I was so close, I was going to jump on it. So, I mean, that changed my whole worldview to realize that there's something beyond what you're taught in university and school and stuff that 
this this weird stuff is for real. That's what it appeared to me. Yeah, and see for me because I've never I've never witnessed any anything like that. I've never experienced anything like that. I've only heard stories of it. <clears throat> I watched um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind when I was a kid and thought that was a great movie, but it was in my mind pure fiction. And anybody having these experiences were either hallucinating or crazy or yeah. you know I, I was just really biased because I didn't understand uh, you know how this stuff really works. And I, I can give you a, an interesting story. You said that was your thing. I, I dealt with a guy who was a producer of a, a documentary called UFOs Past, Present, and Future, which was created in 1975. And big part of that documentary was they had a landing at Holloman Air Force Base where three UFOs hovered, one landed, came, they came out, they had interactions with the military and all this kind of stuff. And so I was talking to this producer years later and I said, you know, Bob, if it weren't for the location and if it weren't for uh, the time of the day, that sounds like close encounters of the third kind. And he said, what? I didn't tell you. And I said, no, you didn't tell me what I didn't tell you. I gave a copy to Steven Spielberg. I said, no, you didn't tell me that. He said, Steven Spielberg's sister, Annie Spielberg was a line producer for me and she was working on this documentary. So the whole idea was based on an actual true event that occurred at Holloman Air Force Base, the three UFOs, the one lands, there's an interaction, all that kind of stuff. And he told me that he had talked to uh, Steven Spielberg's mother later. And Steven Spielberg's mother had said to Bob Emenegger, my friend, he said, you know, Bob, I've seen your version of the landing and I've seen Steven's version of the landing and I like Steven's version better. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, I, I do. I did love that movie. I, I still watch it to this day, and yeah. I think it still holds up. Um, but it didn't convince me that it was a real phenomenon. I yeah, you have to be there. That's that's what yeah. people don't realize is I, I would be just the same as everybody else if I hadn't seen it. But because I had these close encounters with this thing, there was no doubt what I was looking at. And therefore, I've never spent any time looking at sightings because most people I say they they spend their life going around the tree. OK, this tree. OK, let's prove it. Let's go around the tree again. Let's go around. The, and they've been going around the tree since like 1947. And they still are on to let's prove UFOs exist. But when you actually see it, you get beyond the thing. So the second night when it came by, it was sort of flying, came right at us the second night and then sort of turned, made a left hand turn and was flying away. And I remember looking at it and I'm going what's it doing? It, it, it's just flying. It's not doing anything. And th so that stuck with me since 1975 is what's actually going on. So yeah, it's for real. And then you get to, you get past that, but most people can't get past the point of, of the fact that it's real to get beyond and say, well, who's in it? Uh, why are they here? And what is the message they've got? And so I've spent my whole career just trying to figure out what was inside that thing that I saw. I already knew it was for real. And I think that's the thing that people lose touch with to, to a lot of people it's a belief issue yeah. Yeah. and I, I don't think it's a belief issue i think you either accept that it's real or you don't accept that it's real you don't believe that it's real you accept that it's real in my opinion yeah i i had you talked about consciousness i had the download experience i won't get into it but the one thing it, it said to me is uh the difference between uh knowing and believing so what science uh, often will do when they're fighting against any paranormal phenomena or UFO phenomena, they'll say, we know you just believe. And it's like, no, no, it's all belief. And the only people that can really know are the people who've had the experience. When yes. you were there, you know, and that may not even be true. 
but the only person that can actually claim, but if you're on the outside looking in, you, it's all belief. And, and so scientists think, no, we don't have beliefs. We have actual facts and everybody else has beliefs. It's all beliefs. And it's like, and the science from 200 years ago, I mean, nobody believes anything that was believed in science 200 years ago. It just keeps changing because we suddenly, you know, we, we, we grow and you need new information. So like when you get 1492, before Columbus, everybody believed the world was flat. And that was that was actual rational analytical. It made sense. And when you bring in new information, when Columbus comes back and says, no, I went across and the world isn't flat, then he gets a lot of skepticism and fight. And eventually people come to that idea. The same as, you know, with, uh, you know, things are solid. We now know things aren't solid. They're all space. And, you know, the all this quantum physics stuff. And it all sort of collapses. But people still hang on to the fact that, no, we've solved it all. We even have back in the uh, turn of the 19th, 20th century, they were saying we've discovered, or Max Planck, who discovered quantum physics, his physics professor in 1874 said, don't get into physics. We've discovered everything. You're wasting your time. Or the, the guy that ran the patent office in, in 1916 says, everything that's been invented has been invented. And we have this, this arrogance about us that we've got it all figured out. And in reality, what I would say in terms of the UFO phenomenon, I would say, number one, it's going to be way less physical than you think it is. It's going to be a lot more spiritual than people think it is. It's going to be a thousand times more complex than people think it is. And it's not going to have a hint of capitalism. And that's what I've sort of learned. I really don't, the more I go on, the less I think I know what the phenomena, I call it the intelligence, what it actually is. But I know more, the more I go along that I, I know less and less all the time. And I've been doing it since 1975. Yeah, that's um, such an interesting statement that you said, but how, how do we, or how does a person, I know my own experience, but is there, is there some kind of a, um, a game plan that somebody could, overcome their disbelief of, of this topic? Um, well, that gets into the consciousness thing that um, I always talk about the fact that aliens abduct young children. They start, if, you've, if you had an abduction experience, you're a lifer. It started when you were in the crib, it started very young. And the, belief, the reason I believe they do it is because once you're 20 years old, you're never going to be abducted. They could care less about you because your your prejudices, your examples, even there's a story I was never able to substantiate it, but Einstein had said, you spend up to the age of 25 inventing things and you spend the rest of your life defending what you invented. That after 25, people's political views, their all their different views, the religious views, they're all pretty set and it's very hard to change people. And I'll give you an example. I have control of the Stanton Friedman files. And so Stan Friedman was a researcher, probably a million pages of material, and I was at the archives photographing all, all the material from the collection. He spent 61 years and he used to like to debate with um, people like Michael Shermer from the Skeptic Magazine, uh, the SETI, the guy ran SETI, James Oberg from NASA, uh, you know, Phil Klass, who was at Area Aviation Week and Space Technology and stuff. And he would go to Oxford and they'd have these big debates. And then he'd say, ah, 78% of the people in the audience agreed with me. And yet, when you look back after 61 years of work and you look at who did he convince of those skeptics, not a single person. It's like American politics. It's like when you start to argue Republican versus Democrat, nobody changes their mind. Everybody just backs farther into the corner. And that's what happens is people don't realize the belief is a very strong part of our lives. And we sort of think we're rational, analytical, we're figuring this stuff out. And we just don't believe how powerful the belief is that uh, that, that follows us around that, you know, in the end, uh, I've, I've had some noetic experiences where I was given information. And the one thing it told me is not only not only have you got everything wrong, 
it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. And that's pretty far from being wrong. And, and yet people need something to hang on to. You need to uh, grab onto something to have a belief system. Otherwise, everything becomes sort of inconsistent. And there's even in neurology, if you look at Michael Gazaniga, if, if you're familiar with the, the dual, uh, the um, split brain patients. So in the 1970s and 80s, they did the split brain where they had the, the corpus callosum was cut with these people with epilepsy uh, between the two brains. So the two brains were actually, inter couldn't interact. And the left brain can, can talk, the right brain can't. So they were sending signals to one brain or the other. And what they found was a, a thing called the left brain interpreter. So when, we, and it's only job, it's in the left brain, it's only job is to make things consistent. So they would show something, a, a target or something, and the right brain knew what it was seeing, but the left brain didn't see it. So it didn't know. So it said, why did you, they'd tell the guy, pick up a Coke, walk around. And then they'd ask the left brain, they'd ask the guy, so why did you get up and walk around? Why do you, why do you uh, drink the Coke? Now the left brain didn't know because the signal was sent to the other brain. So the left brain, the, the, the talks doesn't know, and, it's, and it would make something up. And it's called the left brain interpreter. And its job is to instantly make up garbage to fill the hole because when things become in, inconsistent and that's the problem we have is that vast majority of the stuff that we get in our rational analytical mind is made up stuff it's it's like there's a hole in the thing so you guess you guess you guess and it's all made up of these guesses where it's trying to keep the world consistent because if it's not consistent if you suddenly realize andrew that everything you believed is wrong then it's like where the heck did i put that cyanide pill i mean it's like it can be really traumatic and people's ego is on the line people want to believe that they didn't waste like 20 years because i was at the university for 40 years it's not like you you go there and then you say uh, everything i believed i went to school for 20 years and everything i believe is wrong people aren't going there so we always try to try to uh, you know, correct our, not correct our beliefs, but to defend our beliefs. And that's where we sort of stall. Or Max Planck said, Max Planck, who invented quantum physics, he said, people are not convinced. You never convince anybody by argument. He said, what happens is the old people uh, die away and the, the young people aren't averse to the, the new ideas like UFOs or extraterrestrials or whatever. They grow up with the idea, so they're not. And that's where they, this famous expression came from, science advances one funeral at a time. That it's not that anybody gets convinced, it's the old, the old guys die off and the young people really don't, they're not offended. They, they, they grew up with the ideas of Star Wars and stuff like that. So it's not a big deal. Whereas the old folks are just like, no, this is all garbage. It seems like it would be important uh, for, for most humans to have that, um, that it, was it the left brain interpreter? Is that the, yeah. the yeah. part that that makes up stories to make you, yeah. to, to help you hold on to your reality. Yeah. Because it seems like without that, people would really lose grasp of oh, reality. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because things shift very fast and, and you hear stuff. And so that's what happens in, in, in terms of UFOs. When someone hears something like a paranormal story, they, they, it just sort of just gets them and they go, Oh, he's making it up. He 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 peaked. He this and and that's left brain interpreter talking. And then they feel better because it's it's their worldview. And it's very hard to sort of stay independent. The way I look at it, and I I fall into the same pattern, I guess. But the way I look at it is, I was very good at playing chess when I was a young kid. So to me, it's like a like a chess game. It's like when I saw that thing the second night, it's like what the heck is it doing? Like what? And, and it was this curiosity. So it's like a chess game. So I don't look at the opponent playing chess like he's a skeptic. You know, he's a Republican. He's a Democrat. He's a bad guy. He's working for the devil. I, I just go like, okay, why did he make that move? 
and it's it's a game of uh you know it, once i figure out how he, why he made that move i know what he's doing and then i set up a trap to to get him or to grab his piece or whatever and and that's the way to me it's a game and you have to stay independent but it's very hard to stay independent and realize this is a game everybody wants to and and you you can't blame these guys if you went to school into say chemistry or something and you were in there for 20 years it's hard for you to suddenly say okay this is garbage because you're not going to get published if you that's why you have peer-reviewed papers it's like it's like the roman catholic church of 300 years ago in order to get a paper published you have to have it peer-reviewed by your peers and your peers are all down in the old ideas so if you publish something that's opposed to the 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 paradigm of the day you're not going to get published because you have to appeal to all the people who believe that all the old nonsense. So that's why it's so hard to move this stuff out into the open and why I'm so advantageous that, that I really, I'm not in anybody's camp. I don't make any money. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I'm just playing it like a game. I'm trying to figure this thing out. And I try as much as I can to realize that probably most of the stuff I, I believe is wrong and to try to move as much as fast as I can to a new belief system as it moves along. And I believe that in the end, most people, when you tell you a story, are probably telling you the truth. They may have it misinterpreted or whatever, but basically they're just telling you the way it is. And it's up to us to figure out what is this new stuff. So if someone comes up and has some new bizarre idea, like I, I got in this thing with orbs. These people started taking these photographs of these orbs people speaking this alien language. And I've been 45 years, I never heard this before. Like, where did these people come from? And they were taking these beams of light coming out of the sky and stuff like that. And of course it was like, they're they, they coming from all around the world. So I knew this, these people weren't making this, but they're all seem to be suddenly starting to film this new phenomena. And, and yet, if you've only seen the one, you're gonna say, ah, oh, they, they hoaxed it, they did whatever. And you gotta stay independent, which is very hard to do. They're talking about the orbs. Uh, it reminded me of a, of a movie and it seems like it was a, a kind of an older movie, maybe the early 2000s, of this lady. I think she was from Canada or like northern Washington yeah. or somewhere up okay. there. A have you heard about this lady's story where she takes yeah. these photographs of yeah. these lights in the sky? Yeah. yeah. And they seem to be doing almost like writing in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you know anything about that? Yeah. I mean, there's a number of these people around. And, yeah. they, and that's the whole thing. They seem to have a contact. So when you talk to them, you say to them, do you think you have a mission? Do you think they're, they're actually, in fact, I just talked, I had an interview yesterday with um, the stepson of um, uh, Barbara Streisand. And her, his father was uh, John Peters, who did uh, um, Rain Man, Color Purple, uh, Superman, A Star is Born, ran Columbia Pictures. I mean, this guy's doing the same thing. He's got these photographs, he's filming all this kind of stuff. Uh, nobody's taking him too seriously yet. I've known about this guy for three years. And it's the same thing when you talk to these people, it's like they've been chosen. And that's that's something that a lot of people on the outside don't believe. They believe it's a random phenomena. And yet when you start looking at the phenomena, you realize there's certain people who seem to have been chosen for this. Now, maybe it's a pre-life uh, agreement because a lot of them, when you regress them, you say, when did you first encounter these beings? And they will say, they were with me before I was born, which indicates like, we, we may have that wrong too. It's like, is it one life or is it multiple lives? If it's one life, then that's one world. That's what I was told. If it's one life, that's one world with certain rules. But if it's multiple lives, everything changes. That's what I was told in my head. And that's the whole deal. So if you have this idea that people have these packs and these agreements to do stuff that you and I had agreed before we were born that we were going to have this conversation and we came here. So a lot of people will complain about the world, how terrible the world is. And I always remind them, if it's a reincarnation world, just remember you chose to become, to come in at this time and this place in the middle of this mess 
and perhaps you came for a reason to try to solve the mess. And so quit being the victim and realizing that if you take responsibility for the, where you are, that you may be part of solving whatever you are complaining about. That's a great message right there, especially in the times that we're living in right now, because yeah. even if you can't solve the problems, you could make your little piece of the world just a little bit brighter for everybody else around you, having a positive attitude, contributing and helping out others. Didn't you say you're uh, like a volunteer for, for some organization? Yeah, I've, done a lot, I've done a lot of volunteer stuff. So I, I, I work for, a, now I'm just doing, there's a number of them shut down, um, but I, I work for an old seniors place where people live there and we haven't had any cases. But in terms of the COVID, I'm, I'm pretty open about the COVID thing, that there are 12 countries who have shut this thing down. So it's, you don't need a, a rocket science degree to figure out what's going on. And uh, I, I basically say that uh, we have a situation where, um, you, you, you come into life and uh, you chose at this time, whatever, and that, uh, perhaps, um, it, it comes more down to not so much what cards are dealt to you, which people always talk about the card. It was the evil Chinese virus. And I say, well, the evil Chinese virus was handed to a number of countries and they've handled the problem. So it's not what cards are dealt to you. It's how you play your cards. And that deals with everything in life, not just the COVID virus with everything that people will get into the victim thing. You know, it's Hillary Clinton and the Easter bunny and my mother-in-law and the dog ate my homework. And they'll go through the whole list of things of why I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Or I'm not successful. When in fact, other, you can take a look around and so in the end, if it's a reincarnation world, which I say it is, you come into this world to do something. You agree to come in here to do something. It doesn't really matter what anybody else is doing in the world. Because when you leave, if you've studied Dr. Michael Newton, which I was one of the most influential things I've ever read in my life was the work by this clinical psychologist, Michael Newton, uh, where you only get asked one question when you leave. And that's, Andrew, how did it work out? Because you put the players on the stage, just like Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage, all the men and women are but actors. They have their entrances and they have their exits and every man plays many roles. I am not, you are not the actor on the stage. You are the person watching the play. You chose to come on the stage and play a role. And when you suddenly get that responsibility, then you realize I came in the world to do something. When I leave, they're going to ask me how it worked out. And everybody says the same thing. I could have done better. Because then you, you look at it and you say, all I have to do is worry about why did I come into the world? What am I supposed to be doing? And it really doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. I'm here to do something for myself. And we've got to quit blaming everybody else around us for the fact that we aren't doing what we're supposed to do. This is a concept that I am, have been actively pursuing for several years now. I mean, almost yeah. going on to a decade or more. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people do tend to, and I, they tend to um, not accept that part of or that reality. Yeah. And what oh, yeah. they what they would rather do is make excuses or blame other people. And it just. Uh, even I even I fall into it. It's very easy yeah. to fall back into that. You forget. It's almost like the, the one expression was the only thing you have to worry about in life is to remember who you actually are. And you keep forgetting, you keep thinking, oh, I'm the player on the stage. I'm this guy and these guys are out to get me. And, and you start to see it. And that's the ego. That's the left brain ego that wants to be the center of attention. But what you see, especially when you do psychedelics or these kind of things is when you get what's called a breakthrough experience with psychedelics where the ego gets crushed, then everybody goes the same thing. Like the famous musician Sting, he does the ayahuasca in Brazil and he, and he suddenly, he, he, he gets the breakthrough experience where the ego is crushed, his ego dies. And he says, he suddenly goes, 
oh my God, everything's alive, everything's conscious and everything's connected, everything's one. And everybody who's had a breakthrough experience of psychedelics will tell you the same thing. Everything's alive, everything's conscious and everything's one. We're all connected together. And uh, yet we go back into the world and the ego comes back online and says, no, 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 I'm, we're individuals. We're just random biological robots floating around in a meaningless universe it's it, there's out people out to get you and and it, the ego is running the show and you need the ego because that's what keeps you in the physical world if you don't have the ego in the left brain you're in a lot of trouble in the physical world because it's always reminding you oh there's trouble there's you know this kind of stuff if you've ever seen there's an interview done with jill bolte taylor who was a neuroanatomist at harvard university and she has a left brain hemorrhage at 37 years old it's probably the second most watched TED talk of all times. And she talks about the fact where the left brain, the ego goes offline, the little voice shuts down and she's suddenly in the middle of the universe. She's one with the universe. She's as big as the universe and stuff like that. She's in, in, in Nirvana and stuff like that. And then the left brain comes back online and it goes, you're in trouble. You better do something. You're in trouble. And then whoop, she's back into, she says, oh, this is so cool. She's in the right brain. And she's saying, oh, this is so cool. How many neuroanatomists can watch themselves having a stroke? And then left brain comes on, do something. You're in trouble. And, and, the, and the brain is shutting off and on. And she tells this story. So the left brain is very, very powerful, but it can cause an awful lot of trouble in terms of making us think that we are the center of the universe. And that's where it all comes from. The center of the universe, this idea that, that we are running the show and all this sort of stuff. And then you realize you're like a grain of sand, the more the, the bigger the universe gets, the more we realize it's way more complex than we think it is. We're a lot less significant than we think we are. And then when you get this psychedelic thing where people have these experiences, even in meditation, you can have these experiences or in uh, holotropic breath work. And there's all sorts of methods of getting there where you suddenly realize, no, we're, we're not separate. We are connected. And when you've had the experience, then your belief system changes. But usually until you've had an experience, it's very hard to sort of grasp what's actually going on because you're you're so dominated by the experiences you already had which tend to indicate the opposite thing i'm you know my mother-in-law is out to get me and and you know every i'm a poor soul and you should feel sorry for me and that usually makes us the ego says yeah yeah it's me i'm you know i'm being picked on and uh you know i'm fighting off the world and stuff like that i've got a black helicopter flying over here so i might have to just let you keep talking yeah wow because so it's you, yeah no it's not a black helicopter it's just a helicopter probably a police helicopter flying around. Uh, you, you do have Nellis. I I, I was <laughs> I was talking to one of the pilots at Nellis there about the UFO thing and I really not much came out of it. But I'm going up to Area 51 on Thursday. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take take some camera gear up there and go up with a couple friends and see if I can get some. Oh wow! I was guy, maybe a craft. Day before a year before last i've been through vegas lots of times i never i never stop at area 51 because i'm i'm not much into the circus because i uh, that's the old idea i saw ufos up close and people want to go for sky watches and i would say nah i don't want to go for sky watch and then we finally they talk me into it and there's a light in the sky and it looks like a star or whatever and they, people are arguing is this a star a planet is a ufo and i'm going are you kidding me man i'm going to bed like i mean come on this is like just a waste of time and so i never went to area 51 but then i went a couple of years ago we were pretty close we were up in uh, mesquite there and my assistant was said let's go it's only a couple hours away i said yeah okay whatever she wanted to go so we went there and then i posted the, the photograph uh we raced up my system was driving a full blast up to the gate and i'm going slow down we're gonna get shot here man we're, we're canadians i mean we're never gonna get out of the country here and so we, we came up there and then uh, I posted the photograph and Richard Doty, if you follow the, all these stuff, Richard Doty posts, he says, oh, you're at the wrong gate. You weren't at the Area 51 gate. You're at the Tonopah gate. And I go, oh, yeah. oh, okay, Richard, next time I come, I'll, uh, next time I come, I'll ask you where to go. And he says, 
next time you come, I'll take you to the real secret places. I go, really? Cool. Wow. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> so it was cool. You know, I go to the wrong gate. I post this photograph and I'm not even at the Area 51 gate. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'll, put, I'll probably put some photos if I get anything good. I, if nothing else, I'll put some cool shots of the desert because I like to do a lot of desert photography. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting area. Now, what you were talking about before um, really leads into the whole consciousness element of, of the discussion. And uh, I think it's really interesting. Um, it, it also You also touched on the contact modalities a little bit there. Do you want to go into that some more? Talk yeah, or do you want that. to do the coal war first? Because you're interested in coal war. I got a, a theory on the coal on the on how this whole thing all fits together. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, okay, I know. Let, let me, let me do that so you can get a perspective. Because you do the coal war, you'll be interested in this. Okay. I, I do a theory called the theory of wow, where I say like, what are the UFOs doing? And in the end, I conclude there's a book that was written many years ago called the trickster phenomena. Everybody knows that the UFO and, and paranormal phenomena use this trickster thing, where they're playing little games and trying to get your attention or whatever. And so I said, well, maybe on the other planets, it's like a school. And they say, okay, we got this, uh, this race here and they seem to have the matches and they look like they're gonna blow the place up and we gotta go and we gotta get a message to them. So they have this idea of non-intervention. So they can't intervene with us. They can't come and do your, you can't do your kid's homework. That's the idea. So they come and then they say to the grade one class on this foreign planet or whatever, say, okay, we gotta get a message, what should we do? And the kids say, Let's fly some things around, put some lights on them and fly them around. And that's the whole thing. It's like, why do UFOs have lights on them? So you can see them. That's why they flying UFOs around. That's when I saw the second one. I'm looking at it. It's like, what's it doing? It's just flying along. It's not doing anything. And it was, but it blew me away. It changed my life just to see this thing flying along. And that's the whole thing. We don't have lights on our planes. So why does that have lights? Or if you remember back, John Lennon had a sighting in 1974 in August. And he, he was close enough. He said he could hit with a brick. He was that close to the thing. And he had these big marquee light bulbs around the edge of the saucer. And so I say, well, I mean, if you're flying through interstellar space coming from another galaxy, what do you need? Light bulbs on the side of the flying saucer to get here? This is nuts. I mean, every UFO has different lights on them. And it's just to get you to go, wow. And so I call it the theory of wow. So everybody goes, wow, what's going on? And everybody starts to think, oh, something's going on here. Well, something, we got to figure this out. And everybody starts working on the mystery. And that's the way it works is they make you think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it. And then eventually everybody starts to think, well, maybe there's from another planet and you get closer and closer as you go along, you get closer and closer to the answer. So if you see how it started, if it started like in 1895, 1896 in, in Western United States, where you had the airships, but what were the airships? They were big, giant wooden ships with propellers on them and big, huge lights. And they didn't have lights. They didn't have power systems for lights, but these lights shining down and stuff like this. And these things were flying around, but they were they were built for the, the the age of the time. They weren't like flying saucers now. And then it goes to the World War II. It starts with the Foo Fighters. During World War II, both the Germans and the Allied forces were seeing Foo Fighters on the edge of the plane. And my father was a US, an Canadian Air Force pilot, and his boss had one of them off his plane. So I had sort of known about these. So it was the Foo Fighters. So it changes from these wooden ships to to Foo Fighters. And then in, after World War II, it changes to the green fireballs. You have the green fireball stories in the Western United States, and they're around Hanford, Los Alamos, all the air, air bases, all the military bases, and they're seeing these green fireballs. And then the green fireballs go away. And then uh, suddenly we detonate the first hydrogen bomb in 1952 in November, beginning of November. And nine days later, suddenly the aliens appear and they appear to Adamski and Williamson on the, on the 
the desert in California and say, you got to stop the nuclear weapons. And you have these, these Damsky crafts with the big balls hanging under, underneath them. And then those go away in 1961, suddenly the greys appear. So where do the greys come from? They suddenly, they stick the greys in. Okay. And the, and the grade three class says, well, let's send some aliens in. And then they first, so they send the 1950 aliens that look like human beings or like tall Nordics with long hair and very beautiful. And then you change it in 1960s and suddenly you send in the greys. There was no greys before 1961. People don't realize this. The greys come in and then it, it, people are going, oh, what are the greys? What's going on here? And and the, the, they start the abduction stuff. They start all that kind of stuff. And people are wondering like, what are they doing? And I say like, they just want you to know something's going on. They're making you think or reptilians. People now talk about reptilians. And, and if you've only been in it a couple of years, you think the reptilians have been around forever. They have only been around since 1988. In my time, they used to the UFOs used to drop what was called angel hair. Most people today don't even know what it is. It was very common in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It was like this spider web stuff. The UFO would fly over and it would drop all the spider web stuff over the trees. And people would gather this stuff and try to analyze it. It would melt as fast as they could. They could never get it analyzed because it would always sort of dissolve before they could get it analyzed. And then in the Betty and Barney Hill thing, if you see the Betty Barney Hill alien, it's wearing a hat. So I say, okay, if it comes from Zeta Reticuli, what, they got a baseball team on Zeta Reticuli? There's all these hints that indicate maybe this isn't what you think it is, that there's all these weird things. Like I'll even ask people, people will have on, on board the ship, they'll say, um, it was ET for sure. And I say, okay, let me ask you a question. People will always ask, well, it was, did it hurt? Did they probe you? All these kind of stuff. Were you scared? And I don't ask those questions. I say, let me ask you a question. Did it have any clothes on? And they go, no, it didn't have any clothes on. And I say, tell me, did it have any sex organs? And I go, no, come to think of it, no, it didn't have any sex organs. Did it have a belly button? No, I don't think so. Did it have nipples? No. Did it ever get any older? And they go, no, it never got any older. And I go, well, how do you know? How do you know it's a male or a female? And they just say, I just knew. I could sense. I knew it was a female. I knew it was a male. And and they would do these kind of things. Or uh, I'd ask people, did you ever ask the alien if he was actually an alien? And some people did. And the alien would say, well, no, not really. You wouldn't understand. And this kind of stuff. And then you start to realize like aliens don't get any older. What are we actually looking at? Or you talk to people who have had the experience and a lot of people have had this experience where the alien comes out of a ball of light or when the aliens had the contact in the bedroom, it goes back into a ball of light and disappears. So the question is, is it an alien, a flesh and blood alien, or is it a ball of light? And if it's a ball of light, does it eat bacon, eggs, toast, and coffee in the morning? And you start to realize this whole thing's sort of breaking down as to what are we really dealing with here? And you, or the cattle mutilations, you have all these cattle mutilations, which haven't happened for 20 years. I mean, there's a couple that were happening in Washington. There's been one or two, but very rare compared to what was in the seventies and eighties. And I always used to ask Linda, how Linda, so why do you take the blood out of the cow, Linda? And when she has all these explanations. They're using it for hybrids. No, Linda, they do it because if they didn't take the blood out, every single drop of blood, you wouldn't investigate. You would just say, oh, it's just something. And they make it weird. They, make, they, they do these weird cuts. And I say, like, for example, when they abduct the, 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 they grab the cow, they've got the cow in the ship. They do the, the mutilation, whatever. And then they fly back and drop it from 100 feet into the farmer's yard. So why did they go back and drop the cow? Why, why are they doing this? Because they want Linda Howe. They want me. They want you. They want everybody to go take photographs of this. And they want to put it out. Because what we found with cattle is that it seems to be a, a monitoring operation. That they don't take cattle from feedlots. They only take cattle that are free ranging. because they're And that's the tissues they're taking are the tongue, the anus, all this kind of stuff. The, 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 the soft tissues that are affected by you can tell whether it's contaminated and one of the, the guys that did the biggest analysis of it said they're all downwind and downstream 
from nuclear power activities. We detonated all sorts of uh, bombs above uh, and all this stuff is contaminated. And he claimed that the, the big cancer rate areas, if you put them on a map and put the calculation, it matches exactly. And this kind of thing, that it's a monitoring operation. So when you start looking at all these different things or crop circles, why would they do crop circles? Because everybody goes, nobody can figure it out. Is it us, is it them? But everybody goes, did you see that? Look at this photograph and everybody's passing photographs around. And the more we talk about it, the more everybody discusses what is going on, what is this UFO thing, the more consciousness rises. So it's no different than, than anything political. Let's say gay rights or African-American rights that you can do all the bad stories you want. You can make all the jokes you want. But in the end, the more you talk about it, the more the consciousness rises and people in the end go, ah, yeah, gay marriage, who cares? I, I knew about that already. I mean, it doesn't bother me anymore. And be, whereas in the 1950s, you could get arrested for being gay in a bar in New York City. And you see how the, this, the consciousness rises and it shifts away. So almost everything I say, everything is the theory of wow, that there's nothing that they're doing that is anything other than giving us a message, like something's wrong or the metals, like everybody's all excited about the metals now. We got this layered piece of metal you're probably familiar with in the house sold to TTSA. And everybody's all excited about this piece of metal because it's business magnesium and they don't really bind together. How did they bind these together? And they, it seemed to be put one atom at a time and stuff like that. You don't fly across the galaxy and then have little pieces fall off the flying saucer. And I actually talked to Hal Put. I said, Hal, come on, this is a port material. Anybody who's been in the paranormal field knows if you're a psychic, if you're a physical medium, if you had a, a UFO experience, I'll say to UFO experiencers, I'll say, do you ever have anything fall out of the ceiling or something disappear and reappear? And they'll go, can I go to the next room? And they come back with a whole collection full of stuff that appeared out of nowhere and stuff. And that's a port material. So what they're doing is they're dropping this metal because every piece of metal is different. They all are weird. So it's not just nick nickel or we had one with nickel. We had one with silver. That, that it's not just ordinary material. It has all these, they've messed around with the isotopes because everybody's going, oh my God, why are the isotopes are all different? This can't be made on earth. There's no way. And and all they're doing is just prodding us along with this, this idea of the theory of wow. So what you're doing, and you do have the connection to the Cold War because when they appeared, when, when 1890s, that's when they, when we invented the internal combustion engine and when we detonated the first atomic bomb at trinity that's when it started and it started there and and it moved through 1947 the first aliens appeared a couple of days after the destination of the hydrogen bomb and they've tied it in and that's why they you have this thing where nuclear missile silos they're sending these messages and they'll they'll shut down the nuclear missile silo or in Russia where they actually let the thing count down and the guy's trying to stop the missile and it actually counts down launch. And he calls the, the main base and says, our missiles have just launched. And they go, we don't see anything launched. And that you can just see the, the beings in the back laughing away, <laughs> you know, like they're just sending these messages that get and almost like I think Jack Ballet was said at one point, it's just a giant kabuki theater. And the only message is you're not alone. That's what they want. So you and I have messages. We have little shows. What do you think is going on? What's happening? And everybody's having these things. And the more we talk about it, almost like in, a, I don't know how long you've been in the field, but I've been in a long time. So there used to be a, a theory. Stephen Greer used to put this theory out. And I wrote an article maybe 10 or 12 years ago called the, the 64 reasons they decided not to tell you the truth. And it came, went into all these things like the stock market's going to melt down when people realize oil is not worth anything. Uh, people are going to commit suicide. They're going to be jumping out of windows and stuff like that when they realize there's aliens here and this sort of stuff. And then in 19, 2017, in December, the New York Times actually reaches the front page article that says, oh, yeah, the government is doing UFOs. They admit it. They're, they've got a program. And what happened? 
absolutely nothing. Everybody went, yeah, I knew that already. Yeah, yeah, we knew that already. Okay, now what are the aliens doing? And we go to the next step. So people, uh, this, and that's why I always say there's this acclimatization thing that both the beings are doing and the government is doing, is they're acclimatizing people because there was actually a study done by uh, Rand, I think was, was it Rand or Brookings? Brookings Institute in the 1960s that talked about the possibilities because they're always doing these possibility studies about what if we've discovered there's extraterrestrial life. So you do this paper and they say, you've got to acclimatize the people. You've got to get them ready for if this actually happens. And that's what happened. They've, they've leaked the little stories out. They put little things out. The aliens are doing the same thing. And everybody suddenly gets to realize, yeah, they're probably the aliens. And you get maybe a couple of percentage of hardline guys who say it's not real, but they know in the back of their mind it's probably still real. And then when it, the story breaks, nobody really cares. And we just move to the next step as to, and that's where I was in 75, because I saw it. So I was where everybody is in 2017. And I moved on to say, okay, who are we dealing with here? Why are they here? And what's, what's the message? But a lot of the UFO community still, because for a lot of the UFO community, it's entertainment. It's like, oh man, you see that story or like Area 51 or, and everybody's just, it's like COVID, we got nothing, there's you know, sports on and uh, let, let, you know, let's do a UFO story because there's nothing to watch on TV. And a lot of people get trapped in that thing of de dealing with it as entertainment. And, uh, but there is a, a definite pattern if you look through history that they're basically giving us these, um, these messages or the Canadians, the Canadians worked on this program from 1950 to 1954. And the head of the program was a contactee. We kept it secret for many years. Was actually talking to an alien by the name of Afa. And what Afa had told him, and this is around the guy that ran the Canadian government program said, if there's a nuclear exchange, we will step in and stop it. And we can actually stop a nuclear exchange between the superpowers. We can take the moon in front of the entire world, split it in half, put it back together to prove that we can stop a nuclear war. Other than stopping a nuclear war, we are going to allow the human race to stew in its own juices. So they're sitting on the sidelines, they're watching us, they're trying to give us signals. 39% of all people that have been on board the craft are showing the screen. And when you say to them, have you seen the screen? You don't have to explain what the screen is. If they've seen the screen, they know what you're talking about. Yeah, I saw the screen. What did they show you on the screen? And they make you watch the screen. And it's either a, a nuclear disaster, it's this giant wave, or it's this environmental thing where the world's, the environment all dies and stuff like that. And they're giving these sort of indirect warnings by people who may have agreed before they were born to be a part of this program. And these people are running around telling me, telling other people the story, what they saw on the screen, or you've seen the, the if you saw the latest phenomena thing by, by James Fox, very controversial uh, end of the thing. He had um, Reed, they were afraid that Reed, the Senator uh, was gonna pull out of the movie. He was not gonna back the movie because at the very end, they show this story of 1994 in Rwanda at the aerial school where the UFO lands and there's 62 school kids in the schoolyard and they all start getting these rapid image cycling things in their head, these messages coming in their head and one's getting the technological images and the, the beings are saying, you've got technology, but you can do better. And the very end is this big explosion. And she said, I don't believe that means the world's going to end. And the other one's getting these technological images that we're destroying the world. The trees are going to die and everything's going to die and stuff like that. So why would they do that? They're putting these messages to certain people. And then these people run around, they tell a message and the message starts to spread. And a lot of people say, no, it's not true, but the message is getting out the same as any other social or political movement. The more people talk about it, the more it is that when thing breaks and people find out about it, Nobody jumps off a bridge. Nobody commits suicide. The stock market doesn't melt down. And everybody goes, yeah, I knew that already. Interesting. Um, but how do, how do we approach 
or how do we find an answer to the question of why did some of these craft crash and are able to be recovered by the governments? Okay, well, uh, there's a guy, his name is, they call him Tyler D. There's a book called American Cosmic, which was written by Diane Pasolka. She's a religion professor, University of North Carolina. She interacted with this guy, and I've met this guy. I met him in 2013, and I had a conversation by phone with this guy. He's the head NASA guy. So um, a friend of mine took this Tyler D. out to a field where there was a crash in New Mexico. And my friend here in Winnipeg, where I live, said once Tyler saw this, he was just fascinating. He knew this was real stuff because he's a, a metallurgist engineer for NASA. And so he takes um, Diane Pasolka and Gary Nolan, if you know the whole story, takes them out to the field and he blindfolds them. And I'm going, like, what's he blindfolding? We, we showed him. My friend showed him where this thing was. Blindfolds them and they call it the gifting field. So this is the whole idea about the metals. So they're dropping these little pieces of metal. And the idea that Tyler D had, which I have, is they didn't crash. They, they, there wasn't random. There's nothing random about what's going on here. They crashed on purpose. So they can make beings appear. They can make physical beings like on a port. They can make newspapers appear. They can make all sorts of stuff. They can make whatever appear. So this is a gifting field. Because, but what you have, I was one of the people who leaked the Wilson document. And in this famous Wilson document with the uh, head of intelligence, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, at the very end of the document, it says two things, which are very controversial. One, there are no abductions. And this whole idea is, is it actually an abduction or is it like a near-death experience where you're not really going anywhere? It appears like it's an abduction. And the other thing was, we've got technology, but we can't back engineer it. Now, I've heard that because what happened with me was when I had the sighting, I said, well, I don't know what's going on here, but somebody's got to know what's going on. So I spent from 75 till now looking for the highest level people that I could find inside the government, inside military. I, I deal with indirectly deal with the top CIA guy that briefs the president on this and stuff like that. So I'm trying to figure out what do these people know? And I'm listening very carefully. What are these people saying? The one thing that is very consistent over the years is that they cannot back engineer. They've got crafts, they've got bodies. In fact, I leaked the alien autopsy document, which talked about the fact that Kit Green, formerly CIA said he had been shown still photographs this thing this video is for real there was an alien autopsy that was done the film that's done was a recreation but there is an actual alien autopsy film so that so you can have the bodies and you can have the craft and it's like your cell phone unless you have somebody's fingerprint thumbprint to turn the phone on it's not going to work because all the all the crafts work on consciousness and that's where the connection everybody thinks it's nuts and bolts we're going to grab the little ends we're going to put them in uh cages on the u.s mexican border and then we're going to grab the, sh the ship and we're going to take the engine out and we're going to make some money from this sh uh, we're going to free energy and we're going to fly these things around we're, we're going to dominate the world and stuff and they're, they're really that's not what's happening I, I when i had the consciousness download in 2012 i gave my first consciousness lecture in 2013 they said to me uh, this is in Phoenix. They said, are you still going to talk to Pam Dupuy? And I said, yeah, I guess so. I didn't know who she was. I, I figured, well, I must have agreed to talk to this woman. So I said, that's good. She's coming to the house on Monday. So on Monday, this woman comes. She's in her 70s. And she starts telling me I'm a remote viewer. And I was abducted. And this, and that. And she so hear all these stories. And it's like, whatever. I've heard these stories a thousand times before. And then she says, oh, and last night I was flying the craft. And I went, what? I said, you're flying the craft? And she says, yeah, I was flying the craft. I said, they let you fly the craft. I mean, I was ready to throw her out of the house. Come on, they let you fly the craft? And she said, yeah, I've flown three different models. And I said, really? 
because because I mean it's the old deal. Like if you're a, a woman from Saudi Arabia until a couple of years ago, you had to have a uh, your husband or a man in the car. You couldn't drive a car. And yet if the, the abduct the and a Saudi Arabian woman, you can fly the craft and with no insurance, no license, whatever. And I said, so how do you fly a craft? She says, oh, you do it with your mind. And then I go, oh, that's why they wanted me to talk to her. I've now got 50 people. They all say the same thing. It's like reading off a cue card. Chris Bletso, one of the most famous experiencers of all times, friend of mine. I heard he'd flown the craft. I said, Chris, you flew the craft? And he said, yeah. I said, stop right there. I'm going to phone you on Skype. I'm going to tape it. I want you to tell me the whole story. So he tells me the story. The thing's there. It's like an egg. The door opens up. He goes inside the craft. And the craft's bigger, 10 times bigger on the inside than it is outside. Some people say it's like a football field inside as compared to a small little egg on the outside. And he goes in and there's this pedestal. He puts his hand on the pedestal. Everybody says the same story. It's either a pedestal. It's a panel. I've got an F-16 retired Air Force Colonel. It was a panel. Put your hand on the panel. I've got a 747 airline pilot. You put your hand on a ball. And, and then you become one with the craft. The craft is alive. You become one with the craft. You and the craft are the same. Whatever you think the craft will do the crowd. You are one with the craft. And people tell stories of the one guy, they asked, they asked him, what would you like to do? He said, like to see the Milky way from a distance. They said, okay, sit in this chair, put your fingers in this thing. He said, it was like the chair was built for him. It was like completely fit him to a T put these fingers in this, these holes. And in, in one second, he said the window opened up and he looked and there was the Milky way in a distance. And he was there. Now we don't have that kind of technology. And that's the thing. People don't realize how much, Technology is conscious tech. It's all tech conscious technology where people will describe when they put their hand on the panel, they suddenly have 360 degree vision. Now, if you look at near death experiences or out of body people, they'll say the same thing. If you're going to make up a story, you're not going to say, oh, I flew the craft and I used my mind because that, that's crazy. I mean, you're going to make up a story. You're going to make it sound, you know, there's a steering wheel and I drove this craft or whatever. And the same thing with a 360 degree vision. I'd not heard about this till a couple of years ago until I started hearing these people talk about this 360 degree vision. It makes no sense that you can see in all 360 degrees of your vision. You can see everything. But this near-death experience talk about it. And so do people. As soon as they put their hand on the panel, they take their hand off. They, they got normal vision. Put their hand on the panel. They can see everything in 360 degrees and that's the kind of thing where you start looking at this and you realize the key component that the consciousness plays in ufos it's unbelievable it's and that's where you get the idea is are we actually talking about beings or are we talking about multi-dimensionals that are coming in from a different dimension and as the one we helped guy publish his book out of israel uh, said we can take on whatever body we want. So you can see the experiences where experiencers will describe uh, this. Uh, Barbara Streisand's stepson told me yesterday. I said, tell him, tell me the owl story again. He said, oh yeah, it's about my wife. I was outside and my wife screaming, get in those, Chris, get in those, go in the bathroom. And he goes in the bathroom. And he said, there's this five foot owl sitting on the counter. And he said, maybe it's bigger than five feet. And uh, he went to get the camera and he came back. The thing was gone. So they can appear as owls. People describe this all the time. I'm driving down yes. the road and there's this four foot owl standing there. So they can appear as an owl, as a deer. One girl had a rabbit thing. She had this story. She was a, a professional singer. She was in Oklahoma. She was actually uh, open for Pat Boone at one time when she's 15 years old. And she told me the story about the rabbit. She said, this rabbit's in the middle of the road. And it went on for an hour and a half and the rabbit's there and all this kind of stuff. And then her boyfriend says, Candace. I think you better be regressed. She gets regressed. Of course, there's no rabbit there. It's she's being she's being abducted. And that's the whole thing. They can screen image. We know this now. They can screen images whatever they want to appear as. So we're making all these assumptions. It's physical, you know, it's flesh and blood. And that's why I always ask these questions. Did it have any sex organs? If it's a physical 3D thing, it's going to reproduce. It's going to have sex organs. And it's 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 not 
it's going to get older because you get the, and people will even come to me and say, well, look at the, this hybrid. It got older. You're wrong. And I said, well, no, hybrid is not an alien. Hybrid is physical DNA from us and mixing it with whatever. The hybrids get older, but the aliens in all the reports I've seen, the alien never gets any older. And then you start wondering, like, is it actually an alien or is it just taking on the appearance of an alien? And that in 1895, they were appearing as guys in weird looking suits and said they were from Mars. And in 50s, they said they were from Mars. Now they say they're from Zeta Reticuli and they just keep changing the location of where they're from. Or they'll say, well, you wouldn't understand where we're from. Or now they'll say we're, we're from the 10th dimension, the 11th dimension and stuff. And so the story, people don't realize the story keeps changing. It's like the beings, whoever the intelligence is, they've got a book and they're turning the pages of a book. As we go through history, as we go through the Cold War, as we go through all this sort of stuff, they're turning the pages and we're just watching the pages. And it's not until you've been in it as long as I have, you see that the pages are changing. Everything's changing. The story never is the same with these orbs come up or, uh, you know, the abduction experience only started in 61. And people don't realize this stuff, this phenomenon is changing as we go through the years. There is a, a modern day microcosmic example of that happening right now and it's out at skinwalker ranch yeah i think what they're experiencing right there is pretty similar to what you're talking about because the script is always changing one day they'll have transient radiation another day they'll have a a, a cow yeah. drop dead in the middle of a field and then they'll have a a portal open up yeah and, and you know, sure. cryptids crawling around on the on the ground. Yeah, that, that's what they want. Weirdness. Yeah, yeah, they want they want you to observe it. The prime example that I always bring out is the Nimitz. So people tell us Nimitz, oh, the Nimitz was there, and they chased chased it with the F 18s or whatever. And I say, no, it's, okay, it's international waters. The alien, the aliens, or whoever are out there fishing or sightseeing or whatever. And then, they, but they were around. They were being picked up on radar for a week before. Right. And nobody did anything. So they're going, oh, come on, you know, and they're flying around and finally they pick it up and they go, okay, let's go check, check these things out. And then the the I, the aliens say, okay, here they come. Finally, they're coming. Okay, here they come. And then the, they say, Zogar, you go into the water, go into the water, make bubbles. And, and so the water goes on the water, makes all these bubbles and the F-18 flies. Oh my God, there's something under the water making bubbles. And, and, and then they chase the thing and it goes away and it never comes back. And then, and then you get this situation where Jacques Vallée said, it was a UFO sighting 15 years ago. It's time to get over it. But take a look how people keep telling the story about the Nimitz. Nimitz, Nimitz, Nimitz. And that's what they want. They want, or in the, when they had the one with the um, the uh, Franklin Roosevelt on the other coast in 2015, what do they do there? Now it's not a, a tic-tac. Now it's a different shape. So now it's a ball inside of a, a cube. And, and they come flying and they go within an inch of the plane. So why do they go within an inch of the plane? Because they want you to to tell the story oh my god the thing almost hit the plane and and they're all freaked out and stuff like that or you take a look i always i always have a difference with people on travis walton people travis walton was gone for five days so people say oh man the thing zapped them and it killed them and they had to bring them back to life and even travis tells that story and i go nah that's not what happened they just said this is one of the first abductions there was there was betty and barney hill in 61 there was Shermer. it was a uh, uh, um, a police officer in 67 then there was the pascagoula in 73 but people don't realize there was no abdu abduction was a new subject we never heard about it before so when they took travis i say what they did is hey i got a good idea let's take somebody for five days that'll really make a and and travis to this day is still the most famous he gets more lectures than anybody on the UFO circuit. He's every weekend he's traveling. 
If he had been abducted for two hours, you never would have heard of Travis Walton. He is famous for only one reason. He was gone for five days. That is just raising consciousness. That's the theory of wow. It's like get really close to the plane, really entertain them, make it really weird so they'll 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 take photographs and stuff like that. And that's what they're doing. They're just raising consciousness. Then everybody realizes like something's going on here and we got to figure this thing out because they can't come in. They, they can't land on the White House lawn and tell you what's going on because that's interfering with, with uh, your evolution. You have to, as the Canadians were told, other than that, we're going to sit on the background and watch the human race doing its own juices. They give you hints, they give you clues, and the people that are interacting with them probably agreed to do this before they were born. Because I asked some of the regression people who do the major regressions of abductees. I say, when you if you regressed all these people back to birth, how many of them would say that they agreed to this? And they would all say to all the regressionists, major regressionists said, 100%. And that's the whole idea. We call it an abduction. We're victims. Oh, man, we just took me walking down the street and these aliens grabbed us and they took us into the ship. And it's like, no, you agreed to this. And I even asked Kathy Martin, who runs the abduction thing from MUFON. I said, Kathy, what do you think about the soul contract idea? That people are agreeing to this. They're working with the aliens and they're agreeing to this to raise consciousness. She said, I was wondering about that. So I had myself regress, she said. And they took me back to birth and I heard the words come out of my mouth. I agreed to this. And that's the whole thing. We, we want to play the victim thing that these aliens are here to eat us. or they're here to, uh, you know, rape our women or whatever. And we re- it comes down. It's going to be really complex that we're part of this. It's all a big just kabuki theater. It's all mind. Consciousness is primary. Consciousness creates matter. And it's all just a play. We're part of this play. And it's to learn lessons. So we come in and you play one role. I play one role. The aliens come in. We make agreements with aliens. And it's all about learning lessons. I agree with <clears throat> I agree with most of what you're saying. Uh, it does bring up one really striking question for me, though, and yeah. you probably you most likely don't have the answer. But since we're talking about this, what do you think is the end game? I mean, if if we're learning lessons, it's for us to grow to a certain maturity. What is it that we're supposed to attain? What's that level of maturity, and what's the what's the reward? Well, the, the main message is always the same. It's oneness and love. That 54% of all experiencers say the message that were given is oneness and love. And if you look at the mystical literature, the, the Michael Newton literature, which is very, very important, 7,000 regressions of people, take them into life between life. It comes down to remember who you actually are. You are a spirit living a physical life. You are not a, you know, uh, a physical person uh, that's actually playing on, you know, in a game. We are, uh, consciousness is primary. So when you see the consciousness thing, so I say it's a, it's a reincarnation world and whatever happens, it's going to be a lesson. So people said there's good things, bad things. Give me the good things, don't give me the bad things. But the things that you learn from are usually the bad things. So in a reincarnation world, it's all experience. The good things, the bad things, the COVID, the winning the Academy Award, all that stuff, it's all in fact, the bad things teach you more than the good things. Because in the good things, your ego just says, oh, I'm so smart. I got this all figured out. And so it's all, and and the lesson may be that we learn like everybody else, that when you destroy the world, you go someplace else. Because I say it really doesn't matter if we destroy the world. And people get really upset. And it's like, no, that's still an experience. That's what they're warning us. If you keep going down this road, you are going to do this. This has been done before. This is not the first race that's lived on this earth. You're going to destroy yourself. And that's what the the, the AFA said. We will allow the human race to stew in its own juices. If it takes you to destroy the world, it doesn't matter because it's a reincarnation world. You will learn your lessons. 
you will go on another planet, you will keep coming back, you will still do it because it's about learning lessons. It's not about winning. We have this thing, rape, pillage, kill, and steal. Whoever's got the most toys when they die wins. That we have to win. We have to get the good stuff. We have to, you know, we're going to live happily ever after and the aliens are going to help us, whatever. And that's not what it's about. It's about this, us our realizing who we really are. Why did you and I come into the world and what are we supposed to be doing? And it's irrelevant what everybody else is doing. So we sort of worry about, you know, if the world gets destroyed or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, we are playing a role. And in the end, it really doesn't matter what happens or what anybody does. You still come in for your reasons. I come in for my reasons. And so in the end, if they, we destroy the world, that's the way it is. I mean, we've got the warnings and that will be a lesson that we learned that uh, same as the COVID. I call the COVID the oneness virus is to give you the understanding that we are all connected and, and that we are all 80 trillion cells in the human body that all work together to keep the body. And now we're in a situation where it's the one of the messages I got. Is it oneness or is it separation? Are we all separate things, biological robots flying, floating around in a meaningless universe? Or is it all one thing? If it's all one thing, it's it's the idea that we all work together and the 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 virus thing is saying you are all connected people say no i'm not connected i'm not connected don't tell me what to do i'm an individual so it's the in, the individual is 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 promoted so you see the societies where the individual is promoted is the ones that are just getting hammered by the covid virus if you take the ones where the 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 uh, countries that have handled it there's about 12 countries that don't have it you'll see that the one the society takes precedence over the individual. So it's, it, it, so it's, I call it the oneness virus. It's basically saying to you, you it's, everything's connected. People say, no, it's not connected. Yeah, it's connected. This is proving to you everything's connected. And what we have now is a situation in the world where when, when you're having problems is you have 80 trillion cells in the human body who have all decided we're going to do whatever we want to do. Don't tell me what to do. And it goes back to a Cold War analogy is during World War II, when the Germans were bombing London, this is before they had radar. How did they stop the, the bombing they told everybody in london turn out the lights because they can't find the city without the lights everybody turned out the lights in this modern age it's like don't tell me to turn out the lights i'll do whatever i want in fact i'm going to turn the lights on and that's when you run into problems it's all about this oneness thing when you work together as one and that's why people are so angry about the the alien thing and i may even write a book called the socialist alien is the people say these it's a hive mentality that these people are like a hive mentality. And it is a hive mentality. It's a oneness thing. You put in what you can contribute. You take out only what you need. It's this idea, whereas ours is a capitalist view, where you say rape, pillage, kill, and steal. Whoever's got the most toys when they die wins. There is no God. Nothing really matters. Just grab as much as you can before you go. And you take the top, uh, the the. 10 poorest countries in the world are all capitalist countries. And it's because it's got no rules. It's got no regulations. It's like rape, pillage, kill, and steal. Only the strong survive, that kind of stuff. And the, the, the beings, they were, people were investigated in the 1950s by the FBI. The, the contact these 1950s because it was like, oh, these guys are communists. Look at this communist message. We should all love each other and all this kind of stuff. The same message as, as the LSD, why well, they shut LSD down by Nixon because they were giving it to people and nobody wanted to go to war. Because once you had the LSD experience, you go, I'm not, I'm going to go kill anybody. We're all one. I'm not going to. And so they had to do it. And that's where you see these, these similarities. The number one message in the world is oneness. That's the message they've got oneness and that the core of the universe is made out of love so you'll see people who have the the uh near-death experience the psychedelic experience people in ships will say i felt unconditional love from this being you'll see that in all these different modalities so i wrote the contact modalities the oneness comes up all the time the the, the core of the universe being love comes up all the time 
these messages repeat themselves. So the UFO is only one spectrum of a bunch of paranormal things that are happening. And I say it's all the same intelligence behind it. It's like we think that there's there's different levels and there's different beings or whatever. No, it's all one thing. It's the left brain that wants to separate things. So we say, oh, there's levels, there's eight dimensions, there's nine dimensions. In the universe, there's no numbers, there's nothing. It's all just one thing. It's all consciousness. And out of the consciousness comes matter. The dual slit experiment, the the, the the particle does not appear until the quantum wave is broken down and the quantum wave is broken down by an observer when there's consciousness the physical appears and those are the kind of things that that will change the two things that will change this world if we get saved are the the alien encounters whatever's going on here that people understand that psychedelics and the other is the whole idea of quantum physics that quantum physics is breaking down this materialistic paradigm that people want to believe this idea that we're that everything is physical and conscious like you sent me the article this article about oh there's this electromagnetic field in, in the brain that's where the consciousness is coming out of and it's like no no there is no football game inside the tv there is an electromagnetic field inside the TV. That doesn't mean that Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden are living in my TV. It is not in the TV. Consciousness is not in the brain. The brain is involved. There is electromagnetic fields in the brain, but consciousness is outside. And it's these kind of things that when they break down, when people suddenly realize, oh my God, these people were right all along. Consciousness is not part of the brain. I do, I do, some, I do some interviews with people who deal with kids. And have you ever seen this? Um, these kids that are able to see through blindfolds. I think it's one of the most dramatic things I've ever seen. And there's about five or six different places where they train around the world. I've talked to all the different trainers in Russia and England and the United States in Salt Lake City. And you get these kids, you put blindfolds on them. And within a couple of minutes, they can actually see colors. They can read books with these blindfolds on. And you look at that and you start to realize like, man, have we got it messed up, man. We have no idea what's going on. Because that's like near-death experience. That is like when you have the near-death experience and people say, oh, it's just the old the idea. I know you just believe these people are just anecdotal. They're just telling these stories. They really weren't outside their body. They weren't. And yet people will describe uh, being outside their body. They'll describe the doctor and yet their eyes are taped shut to stop the cornea from being from being scratched in the operation. Or you'll see the experiment that was done by Ring, the guy uh, researcher, 32 people who were blind. Ten of them were blind from birth. They have a near death experience. And uh, I think nine of the 10 people that were blind from birth could see. Now, when you see that kind of stuff, the material world starts to fall apart because we say, oh, no, it's just coming in through the retina and it comes in the brain and the brain figures this st stuff. And I always say, well, who's running the brain? Does the electromagnetic field have a brain? Does the neurons have a brain? Who's directing the 100 billion neurons? It's the same oneness principle. There's 100 billion neurons all doing exactly what they're supposed to do to create consciousness. And there's a hundred, there's a million modules. So there's a, a visual center and a audio center and a balance center. There's a hundred million modules and they work, they're independent, but they all work together. That's this oneness principle. And you'll see it over and over again in science in, and that's how it works. And when you break from that and say, no, it's me versus you, rape, pillage, kill and steal. I'm gonna get yours. You're gonna kill you before you kill me. And I'm a victim and I'm gonna fight back. Then you get this situation where in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a body, when a cell does that, we call it a cancer cell. I will do whatever I want. I will duplicate I'll do, and, and it becomes a cancer cell. And that's what we've got. We've broken from this oneness. That is absolutely, I can assure you, bottom line, that is the number one message of all paranormal phenomena, especially of the aliens. It's this oneness thing. Bashar, the famous alien channeler, the one is the all, the all are the one. A guy by the name of Brad Oldham, who actually lived in 
in Las Vegas. Now I think he's in uh, Kentucky, lived in Las Vegas. Uh, a musician wrote a book called The Children of the Grays. You should get him on. He, uh, he's, he was inter interacting with the Grays and he hated the Grays. He was no friend of the Grays. At one point he said to the, to the tall gray alien, he said, look, let me, give you a, let me give you a question. What's your concept of God? And he said, the tall gray said, we are one with the one who is all. And Brett Oldham said he was so floored. He actually had to almost like sit down. He couldn't believe that so profound what this guy had said. And you get this oneness message over and over and over. We are all part of a giant consciousness. Uh, we are all, you know, this spark of the divine thing. We are uh, spiritual beings living in a physical body. We come back over and over again. We learn our lessons. And that all that stuff's going to turn out to be true. In fact, it'll all be turned out to be true. All the UFO stuff that you've heard all the time, people say, is this true? Is that true? It's going to end up all being true. People are telling the story the way it is. And it's just this idea that the people who have vested interest in the physical world, in chemistry, in physics, physical, phys physical world, stuff like that, don't want to give up their ideas. And, and eventually, 100 years from now, we will all realize that these UFO people were right all along. So that's why I say to people, if you've had a UFO experience, write it down. Because 100 years from now, everybody's going to want to really read it because you like, like you lived at the time of the signing of the Constitution, the time of the Jesus. Everybody's going to go like, man, it must have been really something to be there when it first started and they figured this thing out. It's, it's a very honored position for people who are in this thing. But you got to realize what it is, that it's, it's not a physical thing. There's no random aliens who just happen to be flying through space who that we detonated the atomic bomb and it's the oneness theory when you detonate. So people say it's a random thing. Whatever I do, if I dump my toxic stuff in the river, it doesn't affect anybody. If I chop down all the trees, it doesn't affect. yeah, what you do to Gaia affects. And what happened is it's the idea of the, the, the whole idea that the old universe is one thing. It's like a bell. So when you detonate the atomic bomb, you ring the bell at one corner of the bell and it rings through the entire universe. That's why they came here, because we detonated the atomic bomb. It's all one thing. That's how they get here. They'll tell you that. That's how they get here. Everything in time and space. If you, uh, the Lockheed Skunk Works was supposed to be the, the 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 company that did the back engineering. Jan Harson, who ran um, Mufon, went to Jan to Ben Rich. Ben Rich said, "We now got technology to take ET home." He said to him, "I've been fascinated. I had a UFO sighting at nine years old in my backyard with this flying saucer. I wanted to build a flying saucer my whole life. How does the propulsion work?" And Ben Rich said, "Let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP?" And Jan Harson said, uh, "It means everything in time and space is connected." that's how it works walks out of the building that is how it works it's one thing they are they are moving it's all in one place there's no time there's no space there's no physical universe it's all consciousness and they can move from one place to another because it's all connected that's how they knew we detonated the atomic bomb because it affected the entire universe and that's why we had thousands of different aliens appear here because they realized the kids have got the match matches we got to go drop these warnings before they blow the place up and they're more worried about the planet they're not really worried about us they're worried about us destroying the planet if we destroy ourselves who cares but it's the planet that we're destroying so that's what they're doing a lot of them will say we're not here to save you. We're here to save the planet. So this this concept that we're talking about right now, or that you're talking about, is some next level stuff for most yeah. people. Yeah. And a lot of people who are just getting involved or getting interested in this topic, they're looking for more of the nuts and bolts type of answers. And yeah. you know, they're starting out where you started back in exactly. And if I hadn't had the experience, I'd be in the same boat as they. And my question to you for those people is what are, what are the first steps, the baby steps that they could take to help them 
to understand what's going on a little bit better. Cause if they jump right into the deep end and try to understand everything that you were just talking about, a lot of people are going to be overwhelmed, but, uh, there's, but you there's, have to be, like you say, there's gotta be a progression of understanding, but you, but you got to understand, you got to start the right steps. You can't go down the road of believing it's nuts and bolts. Cause once you make that belief and establish that, that there's some sort of nuts and bolts and you don't realize it, uh, that the craft is alive. The craft is an alive being. If you make that assumption, then you start making all the wrong assumptions. It's like you can you can do all, all the math you want, but if you don't do the first step right, you can do all the steps. If you don't do the first step right, you're not going to get the right answer. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and so, what what are the steps that people could take? To- well, I would say the number one thing you need to do, and and I always say in the UFO field. If you're interested, you watch the saucer sightings, you watch the government disclosure stuff or whatever. But that's just going to get you to the point where you accept that, yeah, there's a phenomenon. So I guess that'd be first step. But when you see the thing like I did first night and then second night, real close, you're over that. Okay, now what's going on here? And so in order to do it, and what where the UFO community makes the mistake is they still keep doing the nuts and bolts thing. Give me another sighting. Let's uh, put up some cameras. Let's do this. Let's, and, and we proved it already. The government said it's for real. Oh, and I asked the one guy, has all these cameras. I said, well, what's the end result here? I mean, we're going to put some cameras. We already proved this. Well, we're going to prove it for sure. And it's like, we're going to do the same thing again. So you got to get past the proving. And then you got to get the, to the whole idea. And the only way I say that you are going to your second step, the only thing that you can find out as to what's going on is you have to talk to the people who are interacting with the phenomena, the people that, and you can, I don't care. You can, that is yeah, the answer right there. Man. Yeah. And, and, and you, you can, you can give them lie detectors. You can do whatever you want, but talk to them. And what yeah. people will say to me is no, no, Grant, I'm conservative. I'm nuts and bolts. That's just anecdotal. And, and I was bring up the thing. There's a big survey was done of experiences, 3000 surveys, Edgar Mitchell and Ray Hernandez did this survey, 3000 experiences. People claimed they interacted with this phenomena. And they asked them all these questions. 14% said they'd flown the flying saucer. I said, well, I think we should, uh, maybe we should talk to these people. That seems to be pretty significant. Like 14% are claiming. The big thing was 40% of all experiencers said at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. And when they started to come back, it started to fade. And I said, okay, so if you've got people who say, I, at one point, I knew the answer to everything in the universe. Don't you think you should at least talk to these people? Yes. But they say, no, 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 it's anecdotal. Or 42% of all experiencers say they have mathematical, scientific, or technical material in their head that they did not learn in school. And I had one in California. I was giving a lecture, uh, I guess, San Francisco area. I'm in California. And this woman comes up. I give this lecture about the flying the flying saucer and how the consciousness is connected. And she come, and the downloads. And she comes out to me. She says, oh, take a look at my cell phone. And there's a bunch of people, so I don't really get to, to talk to her too much. She shows her cell phone, and it's got this, this paper with all these mathematical formulas on it. So I'm looking through this thing, and, and I said, oh, you write that? She said, yeah, it's 25 pages long. And it's like all formulas. It's all mathematical stuff. And I said, that's pretty cool. You, did you get that downloaded? She said, yeah. I'm a secretary. I've never taken math. And that's what you get. You get these people yeah. who've got this stuff in their head. and But everybody says, oh, no, it's anecdotal. I'm like, so we well, keep going to the thing of proving the UFOs exist. Let's take another sighting. Let's look at another story. Let's take a, get, show me another photograph. Show me a video. And it's like, this is a waste of time. We've done so that. Let's move on. When you, say, when you say it's anecdotal, and a lot of people tend to make that a trivial matter yeah. because it's, it's only somebody else's experience. But what people forget is that anecdotal evidence is admissible in court. 
Yeah. Or that everything's it's, it's witness, witness yeah. testimony is admissible in court. So people have proven court cases on witness testimony, sure. but yet they throw out the, the witness testimony. If it, if it goes outside of their belief paradigm, but that's a left brain interpreter. That's what left exactly. brain interpreter does because yeah, otherwise exactly. you, either, you either, you either debunk it with a left brain that, that fills the hole in, or you take the cyanide pill because you don't want to be to totally wrong. And, and that's what people will do. And, and you, um, they're just sort of going there. And I, in the end, I say, okay, it's all belief. You're saying you're playing the game. They're playing the game. I know you believe. I said, no, no, it's all belief. You believe you're a skeptic. You believe this. You could wake up tomorrow and find out it was all a dream. You never existed. It's all, it all goes through your consciousness. People don't realize it's all going through consciousness. It's all subjective. You think you're ob objective and I'm independent and I'm watching all this stuff. But if you go back to 1492, everybody believed the world was flat. It was obvious. That's what you could see. Everybody believed the sun went around the earth. Everybody believed everything was solid. And the more information you get, the more you realize it's not what you think it is. And the, the, the modern world is saying, it's not even physical. It's consciousness. It's made out of conscious. Everything is made out of Uli stuff. Max Planck said, the father of quantum physics, nothing can get behind consciousness. These are the main guys that did quantum physics. Nothing. They realize this idea that everything comes out of consciousness. So th this idea that people believe they're independent and they play this game. I know you just believe. And I go, no, it's all belief. And but you can't convince them because it's the old idea that the left, the ego will hang on for dear life and never. That's why I said to Stanton Friedman, this whole idea, 61 years, he argued with the top skeptics and he never convinced anybody of anything because it's all this power of belief that people don't actually want to admit that they have beliefs that probably are wrong. So what, what I hear you saying and my interpretation of what you're saying is that people who are new to this topic yeah. and have ha, enter the discussion with a preconceived notion, they're going to go down the wrong path. Yeah. What they need to do is break that paradigm before they even start down the path, open up their minds to other possibilities and then start talking to people and being open to accepting those experiences as reality. Yeah. And I would say that from my experience, believe that the people who are coming out with a single story, maybe not news media or, you know, like the third phase of the moon or something where they're making money away, but the a guy on the street, some guy comes up and tells you a story. The act, in fact, the, the rule that's used by a lot of ufologists now is unless the story is really weird, I don't believe it. So the people, why would a person come and tell you a really bizarre story about something they experienced unless it happens? You got to start believing the people who are telling the story. Because in the end, I think that the vast majority, almost all of the stories are true. It's just we reject them because they're so weird. Yeah. And in the end, we realize like the weird of the story. And that's why they make the story weird is because they want people to tell the story. That's why they do this theory of wild thing where they're doing these really weird things where they're making stuff appear and disappear and putting, or like triangles. People will report, I'm doing a panel on triangles. And a lot of people have triangles. Almost all experiencers will wake up with a triangle mark on their arm. And they'll go, why did they do this? Or one guy had a cut, a cut in his head. He said, why would they do this to me? And I said, well, Jim, maybe uh, they're trying to get your attention and you didn't want to pay attention. So I said, let's give him something that he can't deny. So why would they, why would an alien put a triangle on your arm? It's not, it's a propulsion or like, no, they want you to go, 
oh, I thought this was a dream. That's not a dream. Like, I got this thing on my arm. Or two guys had it carved into their penis. Like, why would you do that? I mean, why would a guy do that? And, and when you see that, you're going like, oh, my God, this is, this is for real. I'm having this experience. Otherwise, you're going to reject the experience. That's why they make it really weird. And that's why they put marks on people's bodies and scoop marks and all this kind of stuff where they're, they're just trying to get this message, but they want you to decide it. So everybody in the end is going to have to decide for themselves. It's not like somebody can come and, or in fact, you get in trouble with that. When you suddenly in UFO community, you have uh, different groups. So you had Bill Moore, then you had Tom DeLong. Now you got this Tim uh, McMillan coming up. And what you do, and people make mistake in the UFO community is they try to find who's got the answers. So they decide, oh, this guy's got the answers. And then they buy it all. It's like they join the religion and they, these guys are coming across like messiahs. And, and so everything the guy says is true and everything and, and anybody finds out something is wrong, then they deny it. And people get into these little camps instead of doing their own thinking. So that's the problem you have. But I would say individual witnesses talking to the experiences and a lot of people putting these things out. Same as there's a lot of people putting out near-earth experience stuff, which is very, very similar to, to this kind of stuff. When you realize these people are telling the truth, then you start to realize something very weirds going on and then it comes down to what is my role what am i supposed to do why am i interested in this because you'll see this kind of stuff where people have these experiences and years later they realize oh i was actually being contacted i was actually being given this the reason i was interested in ufos was not random i actually this is part of what i wanted to do and when you start taking responsibility for it then you start realizing uh what am i supposed to do rather than uh what's happening on the outside of me we always want to sort of do the extrovert thing and say i'm an ego surrounded by all this all these objects and stuff like that when in fact we're at the center of this thing and th there's a good chance that what happened to us was not random that we are we are are controlling with like with synchronicities that we are controlling the things that are happening to us we think they're random and actually we're the ones that are putting the people on the stage as, as shakespeare says all the world's a stage all the men and women are the actors a lot of this what you're talking about is is not exclusive to the ufo world um exactly there there are psychics and people in the yeah. paranormal world who actually uh, ascribe to this concept as well yeah that, that's where i wrote the book called contact modalities and that term yeah. came from ray hernandez ray hernandez did the free survey with edgar mitchell on the 3000 experiencers he heard me give a lecture in in florida he, he had this contact where he was able to, he, he's, his wife was having these sightings. And he said, okay, I want to see the, the, the ship that my wife sees, whatever. And he's an IRS attorney. He said, unless you got a million dollars, you'll never see him. He's a big time IRS attorney. And so he's sitting outside the house and he said, okay, if you're here and nothing happens, 15 minutes. And then he goes, ah, I knew it was going to happen. He looks, oh, like, oh, this thing's above the next door. And he said, it was the size of Wembley Stadium. So he freaks out. He says, oh, you can actually contact these things. You can actually interact. So he goes on, puts consciousness, UFOs. And of course, my name pops up. I go down to Florida, I give a lecture there. He comes to see me. Two days later, he's on the Miami freeway in a traffic jam, stopped, and he suddenly has an out-of-body experience. Boom, he's out of his body and he's up above and these beings are showing him a wheel. And on the wheel is all these different things. There's psychic phenomena, remote viewing, uh, quantum physics, UFOs, and in the middle is consciousness. And they're saying to him, it's all connected to consciousness. Quit parsing it. So what we do, a lot in UFO community, people will say, I'll have people who are experiencers. They've been on the ship and stuff. And they'll say, I'm an experiencer. Don't let me in with those content, those channelers. They're, they're full of it. I, don't put me in. With, and, and we parse it. It's like, I'm the good guy. You're the bad. I figured it out. And we set up our own religion or whatever. When you realize that everybody, it's like Bashar, if you follow the channeler Bashar, he calls it permission slips. Whatever you get, 
if it works, go for it because that's your permission slip. And if you believe it's going to happen, so and and the same thing where people will lump in, uh, say mediums or channelers or whatever, you got to realize that there are people who can play music, and then there are professional musicians, and there are musical savants. It doesn't mean because you're a medium, they're all the same. There's different levels, how far you can get in the field. And that's my idea, that there's different ways to get farther into the field. There's different ways to cross that barrier, to get out of that left brain. And what it comes down to is shutting down the ego, the left brain. So that's when you do meditation. You say you're quieting the mind. You're not. You're quieting this Mr. Stupid, the little voice that's talking in your left hand. Says, oh, this is stupid. You're just making this up. You're, you're not being hypnotized. It's just yapping away. And once you can quiet that down, you go into the field, you can pull this material back. And that's what's happening, I believe, with the UFO people. You, they'll talk about it. They go into this matrix environment. Time and space stops. They're in this thing, and, and they're in this other world. And it's the ability to shut down the rational analytical brain. All the modalities are the same thing, whether it's meditation, hypnosis, they're all work psychedelics. They all work the same way. Savants, people who are able to do these mathematical calculations in their head, they all have left brain damage. They can't tell you, they, they say, how old are you? I don't know. Show me three fingers and the guy puts up five. And yet he can do these mathematical calculations. The year 99,300 on July the 11th, he can tell you within a couple of seconds what day of the week it is. He's not calculating. He's, he's pulling this out of a field. He's not calculating. So that's when I, the contact modalities, I look at savants, I look at musicians that get instantaneous songs. How many musicians are experiencers? It's unbelievable how many have been on board the ship. Uh, you know, How many musicians can't read and write music? Reading, write music is left brain. Musicians are right brain. Most of them can't read and write music. They, they, they get, it comes into their head. Jazz, blues, all the rock, the Beatles, the Stones, they can read and write music. They just sit there and wait for something to pop in their head. And that's the thing is getting in the field, getting it in dreams. How many songs came in dreams? You're in the field, your left brain shuts down, you're sleeping, you go into the theta state, boom, suddenly you're pulling up material and, and or inventions. I go through 13 inventions. Uh, uh, Nobel prizes, 13 Nobel prizes that were gotten in dreams. The theory of relativity came in a dream. People think, oh, Einstein was a genius. Oh, he was a genius. He got it in a dream. He said, I, had, I knew I had to remember that dream. In fact, you could say, and I would say that my entire career was based upon a meditation on that dream. He had the dream. He knew it meant something. That's where he got the theory of relativity. The Bohr, quantum atom, Bohr got it in a dream as well, a horse track dream, where they're, they're telling how the horses move on the track. The, 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 the uncertainty principle by Heisenberg, 1925, he's walking around daydreaming, which is what I use, the daydreaming principle. He's walking around in the middle of the night in the, behind the Bohr Institute in Copenhagen, and this idea pops in his head. The idea for the laser, the guy was worked through all the problems and stuff, and then he relaxed his brain. He went and he was waiting for a restaurant to open. He's sitting on a bench there waiting for the restaurant to open, and the thing came into his head. Boom! And he goes and he runs back to the lab, writes it down. The hologram, same thing. The guy was watching people play tennis. He's sitting on a park bench, and boom, the thing popped in his head. The seven books of Harry Potter. She's coming from a train, coming in from Manchester into London. She falls asleep, and she wakes up, and she's, oh, my God. All the books are coming in her head, all the names and stuff. She said, I don't have any paper. The Wizard of Oz, he's reading his kids' stories, four kids, his four boys. He's reading them a story, and all of a sudden, the Wizard of Oz story starts coming in his head. He's writing on the back of envelopes. When you have these, what I call noetic experiences, and noetic experiences are different because it's not like a good idea. When you have a noetic experience, when you're in the field, it comes as absolute knowledge. It's like when, the way I describe it, and it's hard to get, unless you're there, is to say it came with absolute certainty. This is not a good idea. This is how it works. And that's what these people get. And they, they're trying to write it down. 
and I go through all these inventions, how many books came, uh, the, 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 you know, 12 steps and 12 traditions of, 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 of um, the um, AA came off on a Ouija board. The guy was, the guy was a, a trance channeler and he had had this experience on a psychedelic in the 1930s. And then he, um, he was uh, doing seances in the spook room in his room. A tried to distance himself, but he basically, he said he got help from a, a 15th century monk by the name of Boniface to write the 12 steps and trial traditions, which is used by AA. So you see this thing and you start to realize like, oh, I thought that was, I thought it was a smart guy. And you realize that people are getting in the field and they're popping this material, like the musicians, the top songs of all times. Top songs are all download songs. They're, uh, you know, stories like Yesterday, the most produced song of the 20th century, Came in a Dream. Uh, American Woman, the famous song out of Canada, the top song ever came out of Canada. They didn't even remember writing it. They're on a stage. And, and the, the, the guy breaks a string and the guy's in behind. He comes running back up and he says, Burton, sing something. He's playing this riff. They, they sing American Woman. There's a kid in the, in the audience with a, with a handheld tape recorder. And, and they realize he's going to bootleg the show. So they grab the tape. At the end of the, the, the thing, they're playing the tape. And they hear this song, the first set, first song in the second set, American Woman, which was number one, three weeks on the on the top 40 in the United States. They went, where'd that come from? They didn't even remember singing it. It was on there and they knew it would be a hit. And that So you see these kind of things that people can get in this field. All And that's the whole thing with the experiences. 40% of them say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. All the answers are in the field. It's all there. And if they allow the experiencer to see that, then the beings have answers to everything. And that's the thing. We can get in the field. We can get it. But first of all, you got to believe that these people are, are actually telling the truth. And then you have to find out how are they getting in the field. So that's why... Chris Bledsoe is the most famous experiencer in the UFO field. He's got CIA, Navy, Air Force, uh, NASA. Everybody's watching him. Why would you not watch the guy? They're going, how do you do this, Chris? I mean, uh, you know, and they're, they're, they're getting him to write everything down. They're giving him DNA, brain scans. They're trying to figure out how does this guy have contact? You believe the guy's having contact. Then you try to figure out why is him and why there's thousands of experiences all telling the same sort of story. And now they're doing a DNA experiment. They're doing a, a test that's being financed by the military where they're looking at the DNA and the, the brain scans of these experiences who are in the field trying to figure out what's unique in these people's makeup that allows them to get in the field and talk to aliens. Instead of assuming, oh, it's just anecdotal, we don't want to talk to you, you assume it's right, then you do it, and it may turn out in the end that it was wrong, but at least talk to the people. But on one hand, they are, like you said, the, the authority, authoritarian figures that are studying this stuff are, are studying it deeply, but at the same time, they're, they're misdirecting people and telling them that it doesn't exist, it's not real, look over here, there's nothing to see here. Yeah, because because the military is very left brain. It's separation. It's United States versus Russia. It's the United States. Now it's China. And we keep moving it. So it was like the, the evil guys were the Japanese. It was like the only the we're going to drop atomic bombs. We're going to firebomb uh, Tokyo and kill 80,000 people, cremate them to death in, in two nights. And then suddenly, suddenly they start making cars and now the Japanese are good guys. And then suddenly it was evil. And I always say like, what happened to the evil? Did the evil evaporate? Suddenly they start making Nike runners in North Korea, in North Vietnam after the Americans left and we, we move it. And now it's the Chinese and it just keeps moving. We move this. Now this is the evil empire. Now this is the evil. And we move this around and it's this idea of separation. So if you're in the military, it's almost like you're 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 
doing promotions for cancer. I got a cancer cure. I'm going to, but you got to promote it. So that's what TTSA is doing right now. And they've admitted this, that what you do is you go to Senate and you say, oh man, this is a threat. Look how close they came to these planes, man. This, they could, they could destroy us. I mean, they could be Russia. They could be our evil Chinese guys. And they, they do this threat thing. And everybody goes, oh my God, how much money do you want? Oh, look out. And everybody walks out with a suitcase full of money. That's what you do in the military. That's why you have a $735 billion defense budget. Like, how do you need a defense budget that's bigger than all the defense budgets of the world? Because the it, uh, Eisenhower warned in his last speech, he said, beware the military industrial complex. And it was actually when you go, because I did the research, I was at the library. It's actually beware the military industrial congressional complex. That's exactly what's going on now. You get the situation where it's a vicious circle. So the senators are in. The F-35 jet fighter is made in every state in the United States. Why is it? Because nobody's going to vote against it. If you're a senator and you, it's in your state, that's how they work it. So it's called the military industrial congressional complex. So everybody's got their hand. Nobody can pull out because you're you're making money out of this. You, you if you're a senator, if you're the military, and they make this circle. So that's why you had there's actually a famous article was written called about the Abrams tank. The they said tanks, uh, no tanks, but no thanks. And when when you had the Iraq war, when they were shooting, take, taking these things out like target practice, all the Iraqi tanks, they realized tanks are a waste of time. You don't need tanks because now we've got all this advanced technology. So then they tried to get the, them to stop building the Abrams tank. But of course, you can't stop building it because all these senators are in the bag. They're all voting and they couldn't. So they, that's just the article. Thanks, but no tanks. They couldn't stop them from building tanks, even though they were useless. It was in the budget. They kept building these tanks because there was 10,000 people had jobs. And that's where you get this cycle. The military is very left brain. It's very, it's me versus you, separation. If you get the oneness thing, if suddenly the military says, oh, we're all one, kumbaya, we're all, that's the end of your budget. That's the end. Who needs the military anymore? So it's this vicious cycle where the military has to, it, even Lou Alexander says, I, I don't I don't say they're evil or not evil or whatever. This is my job, I'm military. So you you use the, the Nuremberg defense. Uh, they asked the Nuremberg guys, like, how could you put people in the gas chamber? And they said, it was the easiest thing in the world. I just did my job. So you get these people in the military who that's their job. Their job is to get more things, to keep their people employed, to get new weapons, bigger planes, faster planes. And it's this vicious circle. And once you get the Congress in there, you can't shut it down. It just keeps going. And the budget just gets bigger and bigger every year. And you always have a threat. So that's why you use the alien threat. Or now we've got the Chinese threat or you know, every day it's a new threat. You always have to put these threats out because if you don't have the threats, the budget starts to, to be reduced. Got two more quick questions, and we're right at the the ninety yep. minute point. Did you did you still have a little bit more time you could give me? Well, yep, sure. Okay, so first of all, the the second question first, and you could answer it second if you don't mind. But yeah. the second question is, um, when is your book going to be out in audio format? But the first question, and and where can people get your book? Talk about you know about your book and that stuff. But before you get to that question. I'm really curious to if if you could share one of the modalities and most specifically the one that you use to um, initiate the downloads. Um, I'll give you two because I use two main ones. The ones I used before were uh, the daydreaming one, which is used a lot by um, uh, people. Whether you go to bed, you put the question beside the bed. Some scientists use this um, and you wake up in the morning, the answer's there. Or um, what I have happened to me was I was in a lecture with Colin Andrews 
in Phoenix and he was talking about crop circles. I had no interest in crop circles whatsoever, but he's a very famous researcher. So I said, ah, I should probably go watch this guy. He's a famous guy. I've never seen him lecture before. And I go in the room, so I'm not interested. And that's the whole thing. When you're not interested, you're daydreaming. So your mind starts to wander. The left brain shuts down and suddenly, boom, it's came into my head. Boom, boom, boom. These three things came in. I linked them all together. And go, oh my God, this is how it works. And it was the, the idea of consciousness. And then I was, I do a lot of walking. So I'll walk and I'll listen to podcasts. I'll say, I'll get all your podcasts. And I'll listen to all this other stuff. And I listen to like five or six at a time, whatever. And I'll walk for, you know, 10 miles, 12 miles, whatever. And you, you, you're sort of listening to the podcast, but you're not listening to the podcast. And suddenly these ideas come in your head. And I always have a piece of paper and I write it down. So in 2017, I'm walking. Um, I've just left McDonald's. I had coffee at McDonald's. I'm heading I'm two miles away and I'm heading downtown six miles. And I'm just walking along. All of a sudden, I, you know, this, this idea of the wedding thing. It comes with absolute certainty. It's like, oh, here it comes. And I grab the paper and I, I got to write this down. And I start writing it down. And I had this thing. Is the world made out of conscious? Is the world made out of nuts and bolts? If it is, it's one world. If it's, if it's made out of consciousness, that's a whole different world. Is it a random world? If it's a random world, that's one world. But if it's pattern, that's a whole different world. Is it one life? If it is, that's one world. But if it's multiple lives, that's not. And it was these 24 things that were coming. And there was about 15 of them. I'm writing them down. This versus this. And it's basically saying, not only have you got it wrong, you got it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. So I'm writing this stuff down. Get about 15 or 16. I got my glove on. Put the glove away. Put the thing. I start walking. And about 30 seconds later, boom, it's coming again. Get the paper out. And I write it down again. And it's this idea. It comes with absolute certainty. So I write that stuff down. And the other one I used was I tried everything. I tried the lucid dreaming, which is very powerful. If you can do lucid dreaming, but it's very, very hard to get into the lucid dream state. There's studies that were done at Stanford where they, you know, use certain drugs. I tried those and stuff like that. I could never do it. I could, the meditation didn't work. And the, um, um, uh, what else did I try? I, I tried everything. And then I, I, I wrote a couple, couple books, contact modalities, and I wrote inspired on creativity, how, how inventions come and stuff like that. And I did psychedelics. So then I said, okay, I'm going to do a study. So I did a study and it hasn't been published yet on psychedelic. I do, I do psilocybin. I do 12, 12 sessions. I tape everything like a researcher. Uh, there are 11 of them are high dose sessions. And basically I was able to get in the field and I interacted with what I call the force on four of them which would be whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, whatever. I was no doubt I was talking to something in, in this thing. And they're basically showing me how the, how the universe works. But I was forget it as quickly. But this is on tape as I'm going to they're showing me, they're showing me. And, and then I'm not saying what, what I'm seeing. So those are the modalities um, that, that I use that, that were very effective. As to the books, the, the psychedelic book, I'm not even sure if I'm going to release it or not. I, it's finished. I've had books uh, where I've I've at the very end, I've decided I had a second book on the government cover up that is finished and I never released it. Uh, I've written about maybe 10 or 12 books. Um, and I've written um, the contact modalities. I wrote the inspired. I wrote the music thing where I got the message. Uh, the alien gave me the message through an experience here. The mess. They want you to know the message in the music. I wrote a book. I never, never listened to music. I don't play music. Couldn't care less about music. I wrote a book on music based upon this idea of where did music come from? How many got them in dreams? How many were abducted? All this kind of stuff. And it was just fascinating. It was basically the book was given to me. So my next book, it may be the psychedelic book. I'm doing a book on um, uh, alien documents, some documents that people have never seen before that were leaked to me because I've been in the field a long time. And from time to time, people always want to play the game in the UFO field. It's like, uh, I'll tell you this, but don't tell anybody. 
now I tell people, they say, I got a, I got something. Can you keep it a secret? I go, no, I'm going to tell everybody. Don't tell me anything. Like, I hate that when they, they throw you the secrecy and then they got you. They, you, you, you know, and so I've actually written a book where I've got some documents that people have never seen that I'm going to release and uh, they can get the books on Amazon. I don't really promote the books. I'm more into uh, doing the books and because uh, my, my process in doing the book is that I have to think it through. Same as when I do a lecture or when I'm doing a broadcast like this, I get the people ask me different questions and I get to think the whole process through. And the more you think about it, it's like the same thing with, with uh, you know, the, the world itself is the more you, you're open and you think about it, the closer you get, you, your, your, your mistake gets half, then half and half is you get closer to what the answer is. Okay, so the the book um, contact modalities, the most recent one that you, you've um, had out for some time, uh, is that going to be released on audiobook at any time? I've not done any on audiobook. There's been discussions they were going to do it, and then nothing happened. the The contact modality book is pretty pretty long, and in fact, we had to cut it. There was just so much material in there. I have part of it. I can actually prov probably provide you a link. I have half of the book on online for anybody to read. And it basically talks about how does it work? Like, so what we're talking about today, how does the brain work? How do you shut down the signal? How do you get in the field? Uh, you know, quantum physics, you know, the idea, all these kind of things of how the brain works and stuff like that. And then the the other half is, is, is in the book, but that's where I go through all the modalities, whether it's uh, channeling or reading tea leaves or tarot cards or, you know, all these different modalities that people do. I just go through and I give examples of people talking to dead people and, and stuff like that, or float tanks, or now I even learned a new one. It was this one where if you go in dark, darkness for 10 days, you will have tremendous experiences by the end of the 10th day, staying in complete darkness. So you get these things. And basically, again, it's always the same thing. It's like a head injury will do it. It'll shut your, your left brain down head injury or, uh, you know, in a float tank, that's what you're doing in a float tank. You're shutting all the stimulus down. So the left brain goes to sleep. It's like, you know, you, you, the water's the same uh, thing. So you can't feel any cold or hot. You're, you, it's dark, you can't see anything and you cut all the senses out and the left brain goes to sleep or you're sending the left brain for coffee and the right brain, which is the female brain is in touch with the universe and it can download the material. And that's, that's what musicians are doing. They're all right brained. That's what artists do. Uh, they sit there and wait for something and very creative people. Uh, so um, very interesting. Yeah. That's uh, I, I definitely have to get that book. I'm such a slow reader. I usually don't buy books. I get the audio books. That's why I was yeah. asking. Well, yeah, that, then that's what I do is I go to, to uh, podcasts like yours. Yes. So I, I, though I'll do, say I'll get a subject that I want to research. I'll get five or six lectures of that guy and listen to him back to back to back to back. And then listen to them sometimes two or three times. And then you sort of got what they're, what they're getting at. I, I understand with you because in, in the modern world, I'm the same thing where I don't even watch YouTube, even though I've got a big YouTube channel. I, I don't watch YouTube because I always like 15 minutes in and go, oh, I got to do something. And then I, I'll watch this later. And I never come back to watch it. And, and that's the problem is with the audiobook, you can, you can have it when you're driving and stuff like that. So I, I agree that, uh, that that has to be done. So I'll probably try to do some of that because some of my books I think are pretty, pretty important in terms of, especially understanding how inspiration works, 
uh, where some of the inventions came from and the music book, because everybody's into music, everybody's into musicians. And I go, that's where that song came from? I don't know that. It's like people are just floored when they hear, you know, like, like Let It Be, uh, you know, the most famous songs of the 20th century. People don't realize. I mean, Paul McCartney's mother died when he's 14 years old. Her name was Mary and she comes to him in a dream. So the song says in times of trouble, because it was the end of the Beatles were breaking up. He was in drug problems and stuff. In times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be, let it be. And she had said to him, let, it's okay, Paul. Let it be. That's what she said to him. It's all going to be okay. And that's where the song comes from. People go, that's where the song comes from. And it's true that Paul McCartney even told the story. That's, his mother came to him in a dream. Yeah. And that's a great song. Yeah. And uh, I think that's all I have for you right now. Yeah. I, I really, truly appreciate you taking the time to come out. And uh, Why did you do the Cold War? What's with the Cold War? So when I was a, See, there's your first question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've said this so many times and I forget to tell people, you know, when I talked to them the first time, but um, when I was eight years old, I, I saw this picture of, I think it was a time magazine. And on the cover, there was a picture of this tank, Russian tank with the Russian soldier, Soviet soldier, Soviet yeah, tank. Yeah. And it, the headline had something to do with nuclear war. And wow. so that really put the fear in me. And then I was, uh, this was like the early seventies. Um, and then watching movies about like the end of the world type of thing, like yeah, the Omega yeah. man and the planet of the yeah. apes and all those old seventies end of the war, end of the world movies really made me, it, it just built that interest in the the nuclear missile crisis that we were living under the fear of nuclear annihilation yeah. so as i got older you know i've always had that interest and when the opportunity came up through this covid pandemic um i started a podcast and i thought what can i start a podcast on that's interesting to me that i could talk about intelligently and might be interesting to some other people to listen to and so it was the the Cold War it was the center the center of the conversation for me, but the Cold War is so uh, I, I don't know all encompassing. You know, it 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 uh, impacted our our world for generations and touched every aspect of every every life and every area of art, literature, science, technology. And it still continues to this day to affect us. The impact of the Cold War is still, we could still feel that to, to this day. So it basically touches every topic that you could possibly imagine and talk about. Wow. So that's why we I did it. We didn't even get in, we didn't even get into my, the reason that my sighting was because of nuclear weapons. They, I lit. I oh, can just, you, can you tell me that? I mean, I, yeah. I could probably fit it in somehow, yeah, but. Yeah, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so we're, we're talking about nu nuclear um, connection to the UFO thing. My first sighting happened in May, middle of May, 1975. The Vietnam War ended at the end of April. So it was a couple of weeks after the end of the Vietnam War. And for many years, I had no idea. This town was inundated. It was about 25 miles north of the US border, Carmen, Manitoba. So I went back. Um, to Carmen, I was giving a lecture in the United States. I said, I should tell the story. I'll tell the story about all the sightings that we had back in 75. So I went to a guy by the name of Bob Demert, who was um, ran the airport, owned the airport at this small town. And he had more sightings than anybody else. He had like 150 sightings. He was the tour guide. People were coming, camera people trying to 
TV crews and stuff. I said, Bob, why did they come to, like, I was always this question about, like, what's going on here? Like, why did they come to Carmen? It's a small town, 2,000 people in the middle of nowhere. Grain, grain farms around there. There's no industry. There's nothing. He said, you know why they were here? I said, no, Bob, I don't know. Either. Yeah, I, I told you why they were here. I said, Bob, it's been 30 years. It was actually 35 years. 35 years, Bob. I have no idea why they were here. I said, I told you. It's the nuclear weapons. And then I remember he had told me. And what had happened was in the, the sighting started in, in um, um, February of 1975. In February of 1975, they built the only anti-ballistic missile unit that ever went operational in the United States. It was in Nakoma, North Dakota, about maybe 30 miles on the other side of the border. And it had what was called Nixon's Pyramid. So it was a big, like a giant pyramid. And it had these big uh, radar arrays in it. It was right, almost right, that was right almost on the border. And what they had, this is pre-Star Wars. So when Reagan came in, they moved it to outer space. But the idea was that the number one target of the Russians was not Washington, it was not New York. It was the missile silos. Because unless you take out the missile silos, you ain't gonna see what's gonna happen. You gotta take out the American missiles. And North Dakota in 1975 had 300 nuclear missile silos in it. And it was, it was the big joke was if it had been a country, it would have been a nuclear superpower. Had 300 nuclear weapons, Minuteman three missiles with three warheads on them and stuff like this. And we all knew they were there. We'd go to North Dakota, we'd see them in a farm field and stuff like that. We all knew them. And we all knew that we'd gone. If there was ever a nuclear exchange, my city, Winnipeg, was gone because every 10th Russian rocket is going to land short right on top of us. All the nuclear fallout, we're gone. So we always knew these missiles were there. And so in 1975, they built this array. It was called, I can't remember, but they spent $6 billion in 1975 to build this thing. And what they had was 100 new nuclear missiles. So North Dakota went from, a four, from 300 to 400 nuclear missiles, like in days. And they opened this, they went operational in February. That's when the sighting started. And what they had was they had these big five megaton nuclear missiles. So what they would do is when they would pick up this, these arrays, these, uh, these big Nixon's pyramid would pick up that the Russians had launched, you only had eight minutes or whatever it was. So you'd launch the first nuclear missile and it would go out and it would try to get it in outer space. It would try to explode and you would create this shrapnel where the Russian missile would have to come through the, all the, the stuff and it would shred the missile and it would explode in outer space. So it would hit the missile. And if that missed and it had made it into the atmosphere and it started coming down, then they had these little one megaton sprint missiles that they would shoot out. So they had a hundred of these missiles, five megaton one megaton and they put them in that's when the sighting started and the sighting sort of ended sort of stopped in november so what happened was they had actually going to build one at minot where not minot grand forks where we were um in maltstrom and then one in wisconsin but the only one that got built was north dakota so in november they made a treaty with the russians to uh the nuclear missile treaty and they shut it down that's when the sighting started. So Bob told me, he says, I told you, remember I told you, I went to the border and I was talking to that U.S. Air Force guy that they, they were going to ram the UFO. It was over top of the missile silo. And I said, yeah, I remember you telling me that story. And he had, they had four, four things and they were told to ram it. So it was over top of this missile silo and these jets were coming in. And the one guy said, they told my friend Bob, he said, it wasn't worth it. I said, no, it's not worth it. He pulled out of the formation and the thing went right up in the formation where he had left the formation to ram this thing. And um, I actually was in North Dakota later with a girl who's actually been on my panel in a couple of weeks. I haven't talked to her for many years, but uh, they actually took me to a missile silo in the Minot. So Minot was the, the missile range where it was actually a missile range. 
and uh, it was the B10 one, and it's still act it's still active today. And it took me an Area 51. They've actually taken off the signs that say uh, "use of dead deadly force." That's taken off the Area 51. It's still on the sign in in, in a town called um, Cools Road, North Dakota. And outside the town, there's missile. They, they, these missile silos are just scattered all over the place. And this is one mile out of the town. So the kids in the town, what they used to do is for a joke, they had this um, inside the, 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 the fence around the nuclear missile, they have this tower that has this yellow, yellow light on site. So the boys would climb over the fence and they'd run around the missile silo and they'd wait for the light to go off. And then they'd jump over the fence and run like hell back to town. Eh? And they'd try to get the light to go off. And the girls would do the same thing. So these three girls go there. And this is 1988. They're throwing stones at the fence. They're trying to get the light to go on. So they go running home. This is what they do for entertainment. Throwing the stone. And all of a sudden she said, boom, this UFO comes out of the missile silo. And, and she comes out of the ground. And so we're standing at the missile silo with the MUFON state director for North Dakota. He's taking cameras. And we're there at the fence. And he's waving at the camera. I said, come on, what are you doing? I'm going to get arrested here. Like, come on. This is use of deadly force on the sign and all sort of stuff. And we're standing there, and it, so I says to this Kelly, I said, so where, where did the UFO come out? She said, came out of that metal thing over there. I said, you sure? It came out of the metal thing? She said, yeah, it came out of the metal thing. Hovered 25 feet in the air. It was made out of copper. had, like, burn marks on it. It was spinning around, and she wet her pants. The other three girls went screaming off to town, and this thing flew off. And it was a daytime sighting. And so missiles was, was really key. And when I did the Reagan thing, I did all, I was the first to come up with the Reagan alien invasion remark. And I do the whole thing with Gorbachev and uh, Reagan talking about the oneness thing, how the world would unite as one if we were facing a threat from an alienation. It's this oneness concept, how he talked to Gorbachev. And I went to the, I got all the Reagan stuff at the Reagan library where uh, he's talking to Gorbachev and then he talked to Shepard Nazi and I got all the different things. And then he goes to the, the school in uh, Maryland where he actually uh, does the real long thing. And, and I go through the speeches. How did they get in the speech? And um, he, he has the, the one he does in Maryland. He actually ad libs the thing. He had a photographic memory. He actually ad libs this whole thing about what he told Gorbachev and the oneness and all this kind of stuff. And then when he did the UN thing, Here's these weird synchronicities. So I'm at the library in Los Angeles and um, I'm looking for these things and I see this writing. He's got very sort of small, sketchy writing. And I said to the archivist, I said, uh, so uh, I'm looking through this file on the, U the 1987 UN speech. That's where he brought up at the UN about how the world would unite, be as one, all this kind of stuff. And I said, is this Reagan's writing here? And, and it's like five minutes before the library closes, like five minutes. And she says, no, that's not his handwriting. No, no. And she says, she flips through the pages. And she goes, that's his handwriting right there. She points to the alien invasion remark. And what had happened is he put it in the speech and he called it my fantasy. And they took it out about the alien invasion. And in fact, uh, Colin Powell said it was his job to keep the alien invasion stuff out of Reagan's speeches and stuff like that. So they had pulled it. And then Reagan writes back, oh, by the way, could my fantasy, could you please put it back in? So they put it back in the speech. It wasn't supposed to be there. And when she pointed to this, it was this thing where he's writing in his handwriting. He's saying, please, my fantasy, could you please put it back in the speech? And it was like, you talk about a synchronicity where this woman points to the alien vision remark. So I actually found that. And now it's, it's famous, this alien thing where Reagan was talking about it. But nuclear missiles is a big part of the, of the, of the story. Of, of this of this whole thing that that's one of the key reasons why they were here and mine and and then what he said and this is kind of weird because you're in that area right now i just went back we did with, with the film crew it's the first time i've been back there in many many years and i was talking to him and i said uh i said 
you know, I, you told me about why. And he said, well, they're back. I said, they're back? He said, yeah, we've had sightings. And he starts talking. He said, Trump's going to use the nukes. And I go, oh, come on. Yeah, and now I'm sitting there thinking like, holy cow, because when Trump uh, had the COVID, they put the bombers in the air. The, the, the Russian bombers were in the air when, when they made the announcement. And I'm thinking, oh, Bob told me they can use the nukes. It's like, and he's saying, you know, that the nukes are the, are the point again. So we'll see what happens before Trump gets out. But this is uh, the, the nukes is a big part of the story. That, and that is one of the things that um, really solidified my interest in the topic was because I, I told you I was like always interested in nukes. Um, ever since I was a little kid. But when I found out that the, the UFOs had an interest in nukes and I started to listen to Robert Solis yeah. talk about his uh, experience at, I think it was at Malmstrom in 66. Yeah. 67, and, yeah. Six, okay. And the, the UFOs were hovering over his launch complex and they, yeah. they disabled all the nukes. Uh, that just, I, I thought, wow, that's weird um, that they and, did that. And, and there's an important point to that. Like he's an experiencer. Yeah. And I used to make the joke. I said, oh, they actually had one of their own guys in the, in the missile silo. But that happened just before the shoot down that started the six day war. That's when that happened. Mine happened. My sightings happened like right at the end of the Vietnam War. And the theory I got, which I put in the book when I did the Charlie Red Star book, was the fact that the Americans had lost Southeast Asia and they had pulled the troops out. So what could they do? They, they couldn't go back. And, and everybody was sitting, if you know, it was the domino theory. That was the main theory was that they had they had gotten. Cambodia, Laos, they got South, South Vietnam, the Russians were making their move, the Chinese, and it was the idea that the communism would, the domino theory would be one country after another, would fall, and eventually communism would rule the world. And that was the big fear in 1975. So when the, the Americans pulled out, there was, I believe there was discussion, how do we stop if they go after South Korea, if they go after the Philippines, if they go after Indonesia, how are we going to stop them? We've got no troops on the ground in Southeast Asia. And somebody probably suggested we may have to use the nukes because that's what they were talking about a lot, that they would use the nukes to stop the Russians if they made another move. And so when the nukes, then all the U.S., we didn't know, but all the U.S. military stuff may have gone on alert and that's why they showed up in Carmen was because all those missiles in North Dakota were on alert we didn't know what was going on but the Vietnam War had ended and it was a it was a standoff as to whether the Russians were going to make a move and if they did nuclear war was going to ensue because that's the only way we can stop them from this domino theory of them taking over the world so to me it was very significant the fact that when mine happened and and how it happened and this this bizarre connection to losing Vietnam in in a couple of weeks before I had my sighting. Interesting. Well, I'm currently working on a a detailed timeline of the events of the Cold War. Yeah. Maybe you and I could do a collaborative uh, video presentation or something. Sure. We could do it on your channel if you want to, where we break down events of the Cold War and how it relates to UFO activity. Yeah. Yeah. Would you oh, yeah. Would, yeah. you want yeah. to do something like that? Sure. I, I would love to do that. I'm kind of in the midst right now of doing the the timeline, the detailed timeline um, of the Cold War events. And once I have that done, then I'll I'll send it to you, reach out yeah. to you, and we can yeah. collaborate on that. Sounds good. I'd like to do that because I have the same idea. That's where I went through that scenario of 
the Foo Fighters and the Green Fireballs. And then the Adamski appears like a couple days after the detonation of the hydrogen bomb. It wasn't even known by the public yet because it, in those days, it took a while for the news to come out. So he had the encounter before the Americans even knew that they had detonated the hydrogen bomb. And the hydrogen bomb was different than the atomic bomb because the atomic bomb, you couldn't destroy the world. But the hydrogen bomb, you can destroy the world. And that's why they made the move on the hydrogen bomb. Atomic bombs is one thing, but hydrogen, you can destroy the world. And that's why they were so upset and the aliens started to come in. And the Russians almost did with uh, Tsar Bomba, the 50, ki- 50 megaton nuclear yeah. weapon they, they exploded above ground yeah well the americans had theirs too i i don't know if you followed the one with the where they contaminated all the islands where they have it was even worse than the 50 megaton because it was low it was castle low bravo. Altitude. castle bravo the castle bravo one yeah. where they 25 were, 25 megatons and and there was a bunch of ufo scene at that event too. oh really really yeah, if you look it up yeah there's a bunch of ufo scene there and that's what they're doing is they're watching all these these things even i was even told by a reporter that all the nasa launches are actually uh, observed by UFOs. They pick them up every single time they launch something, that they're watching all this sort of stuff. Or the the video that released, there was a video that James Fox was trying to get for his latest documentary and that I discovered uh, where this guy in 1975, UFOs, Past, Present, Future, was given the Holloman Air Force Base film, but he's also given a film of the launch at Vandenberg Air Force Base where they where the missile goes over to the Pacific and the UFOs come around it and take the missile down. Yeah, that, fil- that. that film is in private hands. It's in Oregon and... Fox couldn't get the money to put it on the documentary, but uh, that's a that's a true story. So you see them interacting with the military, and that's what they're doing now. They're interacting. They're they're challenging the military in in, in these events, like the one that's going to break um, the second. So what's today? So I, day after tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, day after tomorrow. Uh, Tim Tim McMillan's supposed to break that story about the the uh, triangle oh, that yeah. comes out of the, out the of one the you guys caught some heat on Twitter for yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that yeah. was pretty crazy and, and, and that's the whole deal is that that's a challenge that's the, yeah. the whole deal that's that idea like scare the living daylights out of them and the submarine dives and they, they don't know what's going on that's this theory of wow it's like let's scare the living day and they all start thinking and they try to figure out what's going on everybody finds out about it the story gets out and everybody's saying well what are the aliens doing are they this must be for real it's it's kind of an interesting thing you see this yeah and i, I was just going to say that's an important part of you know we talk about how important the consciousness um, part of this equation is but the the nuts and bolts stuff of it is what gets people interested because that's yeah. what they can um yeah you got to start somewhere yeah relate to yeah yeah and that's so, why you know you have shows like ancient aliens even though half yeah. the stuff is made up or whatever it's still that's why i said it's almost like african-american and, and gay rights stuff where there was a lot of bad movies made about them a lot of bad stuff but it doesn't really matter it's like the thing is as long as you spell your name right yeah and and it, because people talk about it and nobody's really checking to see whether it's accurate or it's not accurate or whatever everybody's just watching it so ancient aliens you know it's the most watched show in europe or something and everybody's just gone oh, they they watch it and it's not a climatization thing it's just getting you to the point where you break down if someone says you know this is true you'll just accept it whereas in the old days there was no documentaries nothing and it's like ah humbug you know these guys had never thought about it before so it's a different world the, the media is doing doing the job that's why to the stars has gone with the skinwalker documentary and all the stuff gone to hollywood because that's how you move the story out is through because the skeptic can sit down and watch the show without being offended whereas if you get in a skeptic's face he's going to say get out of here where he's going to say, "Ah, oh, it's just garbage," and watch, <laughs> laugh at it, and he doesn't realize he's getting he's getting programmed by watching that, <laughs> right. that documentary. You're bypassing that, yeah, that, that analytical that, mind, right? Yeah. 
Awesome, okay. man. Well, hey, Grant, it has been great talking to you. I, I know we've gone over a little bit, and I appreciate no you being flexible. I'm always willing to talk. So let's do it again, and let's work on that uh, that thing of the Cold War, and uh, we'll uh, put it out there. I, uh, that's kind of stuff that interests, and that's what a lot of people may not realize. They, they think it's a random thing that's just happening, and when you start putting it down a pattern, then you realize, like, oh, that's what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Okay, it's let's do it. Connected, man. Cool. All right. Thank you, Grant. I appreciate your time, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye.